0: So, guys, how was your week? Anything exciting?
1: I went to Oklahoma and spent like five days with my family, so that was really fun. Man, you're just full
0: of vacation and family time. That's so exciting.
1: I I have a flexible schedule, so thankfully I am able to travel a lot.
0: That's nice. What about you, Brooke?
2: I've just been playing with the new kitten. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I forgot you guys. Oh, yeah.
0: I forgot you got a new cat.
2: I tried really hard. I wanted to name him Mormon because he's a little ginger with blue eyes, but <laughs> everybody else likes Simba better, so I was outruled. <laughs> uh,
0: Simba is a really good cat name, though. It I will. Is. Uh, I, I can get behind that name, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now I, let's see. No, I went up to my uh, cousin's wedding this weekend, and probably the f- best reception I've ever been to was at my grandmother's like farm, basically. Mm hmm. They set up a big bouncy house. They set up. Oh,
1: that's they had, fun. they had
0: Scrabble tiles like this big, just huge oh, Scrabble no. tiles. They had a connect it's Four cute. that was like as tall as me. It was, it was so, so awesome. fun. Yeah. It that's was the
2: best.
0: really fun. Yeah. Giant Yahtzee and giant Jenga and all that stuff. And they're all up there being cute and everything. And
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds like a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. It was a ton. It was a ton of fun. It was awesome. Well, hey, um, so we're going to take care of just a quick little bit of business. And oh, crap. That's a cute cat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my oh. gosh. He's tiny. Oh. We think he's only about a month old. He came wandering out of the woods. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, so we've rescued Simba, him. Simba, hi. It's <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Oh, my gosh. Great. Right.
0: Now, great. Now I want another one.
2: <laughs> right? I know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Pretty much. <laughs> Um, cool. Well, hey, before we jump into everything, um, so yeah, this is this is the Readers on the Wall. This is episode eight, right, guys? Yes. yes. This is so awesome. I'm really excited when we get to 10 because I feel like that's a huge milestone in my opinion. right? <laughs> um, okay, so just a couple announcements. Um, if you noticed in, in the post we posted up a bunch of different links, that's because we have a ton of stuff set up now. So we, so um, we have an email address now, the readers on the wall at gmail.com. Which we've had before so if you have any questions or comments you can send send them there um we also have a facebook page which i'm sure most of you are are liked if you're watching the video uh but two new developments we have we now have a soundcloud profile which is where i will be posting the audio versions of these of these web shows and those will be kind of edited down to be a little shorter i'll get rid of like the ums and little things in between um we also have a YouTube channel now, which is where I'll be posting all of these live videos on and also the audio versions as well, just to kind of cover all the bases. Um, but yeah, like and subscribe to all of those if you guys want to keep up with it, um, especially the SoundCloud, I would say. I think this would be a great thing to listen to while you're at work or while you're doing the dishes or whatever else. Um, so yeah, that's all the that's all the big announcements we have for today. I'm really excited about it. it I, I, I sat down and, Spent like five hours like figuring out how to make YouTube thumbnail art and banners <laughs> and like, how I upload. It this. looks
1: good, thank you, Harrison. Yes, thank yeah.
0: you, Harrison. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna keep brewing and hopefully I can come up with a couple couple better uh, just images and maybe little logos, <laughs> things like that. But I'm I'm really hyped for that. I'm I'm excited. Um, cool. Um, let's see. Um, I was trying to think of a random question that we could just chat before we get into the chapters, just to break the ice and uh i thought of this one okay okay so here's the situation you have supposedly murdered the king dun 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 (laughs) you demand a trial by combat who is your champion who who are you gonna gonna ask to defend your life um I'll go first because I, I got to brew on it just for a little bit.
1: Don't um, take my answer. Don't take my answer. <laughs> I, I
0: do um, no, no, mine's a little unconventional. I would say he's, I wouldn't say he's the best swordsman in the world, but he's pretty boss. Um, I would actually pick Ned Stark. That would be my mm. choice. Um, Interesting. Esp- so I'll say in the show, and I believe it would happen in the book because it, it we don't get to see it in the book, but Ned actually completely holds his own against Jaime Lannister, which uh, which. Uh, it happens actually in the next chapter that we're going to be reading next week when Jamie and Ned uh, have a confrontation. In the books, they don't—they don't actually fight, but in the show, they do. And I was like, "Dude, Ned is totally holding his own." And even—even even at his age, he's aged up quite a bit in the show. I would say compared to what he's 35 in the books. In the books yeah. and in the show, he's probably in his 40s or so. And uh, I mean, I'm assuming the skill would be pretty decent even when he's young. I mean, he fought against Arthur Dane, who's considered one of the best swordsmen in the whole Song of Ice and Fire universe. I mean, eventually, probably would have lost, but he still held his own for quite a while. So my, my choice is Ned Stark. Plus, he's just a boss guy, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, Brooke, do you got You got somebody?
2: <sighs> uh, I'm
0: putting it in suspense for you, Madison. You're just like... <laughs>
2: Are we are we talking about like now once the shows are over, we talk about where we are in the books now?
0: Yeah, um uh, any, any any character.
2: Any character okay.
0: at any point in their life.
2: I don't know. I think I gotta go with my girl Aria. I think she's oh, scrappy. That's I a think good she would so be a good, good champion. Choice.
0: That is a pretty good choice. I like
1: that. Mm-hmm. Um man. I mean, yeah, okay. there's so many good choices, like I could make a case for, like, 15 people, probably. <laughs> right. my, my,
0: my second choice was the Hound. That was, that was going to be my second pick. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm
1: right. going to go with maybe an obvious choice, but a classic, just the Viper himself over in Martell. Mm-hmm. That was my second because pick. Because the only reason he lost to the Mountain was because he had personal beef to settle. Like, he had a score to settle. So uh, if he's just, like, going to be my um, my... Um, what are we calling this again? Um,
0: yeah, your trial by combat. <laughs> my trial
1: by combat. If he's gonna stand in for me, like, I mean, I don't have any beef. He doesn't have any beef for me, so like, I think he could take pretty much anybody. I saw him fight. I'm, I'm interested. I'll
0: tell you this what. Every true. every now and then, I just rewatch that scene just because oh. he he did. I, I can't remember the actor's name, but he did just a phenomenal job yes. mm-hmm. during that whole scene. I was so impressed when I first watched it. And that, that is the scene I come back to pretty frequently just because of I how know. good it's done.
1: I, I always I always want him to be like, my name is Inigo Montoya. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's yeah. like, it's like such a parallel there. I see it. I you know, know, right?
0: I, you know what? I wouldn't be shocked if they do a Princess Bride remake. Ugh. Don't Ooh, do it. But no. if they ever do, maybe they'll grab him. <laughs> just maybe. Sure. <laughs> right well hey um anybody who's listening if you guys got so, if you guys want to propose somebody's name to be your champion for your trial by combat uh just send us an email comment here just let us know we'd love to we'd love to hear your guys' opinions and maybe we'll read it on the show um all right well cool are you guys ready to jump into these chapters. I feel like
1: over prepared, yet like not prepared at all. Because (laughs) I read these chapters so many times and I listened to them on Audible. And I told them earlier, I like wrote notes on like envelopes and old bills and sticky notes, <laughs> but I never had a chance to sit down and like compile it all again. But these chapters are just rich, you guys. I'm super oh, pumped to talk about them.
0: They are. They're really dang good, especially uh, just just a note. This first chapter we're going to cover is probably one of my favorite chapters. Like, pro- probably. I think
1: it's definitely the best Eddard chapter we've read yet and maybe oh, yeah. one of the best chapters in the book.
0: I agree. I agree. Um, one thing I'd like us to do for maybe like a little special show in between books is just go through the best chapters in, in this book. Because honestly, like oh, the thing is, the past like 10, 15 chapters have been just crazy good. Mm, so yeah. I think it'll be I think it'll be a good discussion when we get there. Well, cool. Um. So, just as just as a recap, uh, so we we read three chapters this week. We read chapters 30, 31, and thirty-two, which is Eddard, uh five, six, seven. Eddard, seven, Tyrion four, and yep. Arya three. Does that sound right? Mm. Yes. That should be right.
2: Sure.
1: I don't really understand Roman numerals
0: uh, (laughs) I I feel so dumb sometimes Because I'm like, okay, hold on There's a V, there's one more I And there's another I But then there's an X And now a Z I don't know what's going on (laughs) But either way okay so we're gonna jump into chapter 30 which is edard 7 and i'm gonna go through the, the summary it might be a little bit of a long summary but it's worth it because this chapter is thick like it's mm-hmm. it's got a lot going on in it. it's
1: got like three sections mm-hmm.
0: right you know you know after i'm done with the summary why don't you go through those for us real quick um okay so the finals of the hand's tourney is upon us and ned and selmy are looking over the body of sir hugh of the Vale. Ned reflects on how war is not a game and how ashamed he feels that Hugh died in a tournament held in Ned's honor, which that's just rough for Ned, I'm sure. Um, They leave him to the Silent Sisters and go visit Robert, who is having some difficulties getting into his armor for the melee tournament later that day. Ned notes that the squires trying to help him are both Lannisters, and Ned fears for Robert. The squires are sent on a wild goose chase while Ned and Selmy help Robert understand that if Robert had, had competed in the melee, no man would try try to harm him but simply let him win robert is enraged by this he dismisses selmy with a threat of his life and commands ned to drink while robert tells him what taking the throne has done to him he wishes to leave turn into the sellsword king but uh, what stops him is the thought of joffrey taking the throne and cersei whispering in his ear robert eventually dismisses it all and they have breakfast where they reminisce on old memories and ned wishes uh, life could be like this all the time Ned heads off to the tourney and sits with Sansa. The first tilt is the Hound versus Jamie Lannister, with the, with Jamie losing quite quickly. The second is the Mountain versus Loras Tyrell, who is um he and and just a note, Loras Tyrell, he is decked out head to toe and probably the most ridiculous outfit.
1: <laughs> it's probably it's so really,
0: it's probably really pretty, but oh my gosh, I was just like, he's really? so
1: extra. <laughs>
0: pretty, you know, that's a good word. I like that. Um. Let's see. So he's decked out in some of the finest armor I've ever heard described. The mountain is swiftly defeated, who goes into a rage, killing his own horse and then attacking uh, Loris, who is then protected by the hound. They fight until Robert commands them to stop. Then the mountain leaves. Loris comes out to the field later and declares declares the hound the victor rather than jousting for the final tilt. After the Archer and melee competition, they head to the Feast, where Ned asks Arya about her training and even even considers uh, finding someone else to train her rather than Serial Pharrell. Ned heads back to his room, uh, where he begins to reflect on the dagger uh, used to kill Bran. Um, He reflects on Gendry, which is Robert's bastard. He reflects on Robert's other bastards throughout throughout the Seven Kingdoms, especially one that's in the Vale right now, which we get to meet um, in a couple in probably next week or the week after, mm-hmm. um, Varys comes to visit in a very convincing disguise and reveals that there was there was a plot for Robert to be killed in the melee. Hence, why Cersei forbids him from competing, which will guarantee which will guarantee Rob. Uh, oh wait, no, let me reread that again. Um, so Varys tells him like, "Hey, there was a you know there's a plot to kill Robert in the melee. Cersei forbid forbids Robert from doing it, from competing, which is just going to make him do it." You know, just one of those. Yeah. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna rebel against what you're telling me to do. Um, Varys has been trying to figure out what kind of man Eddard Stark Stark is is going to be, and he decides that he can kind of trust him. That Varys and Eddard are kind of like on same ground now. Um, before or as Varys is leaving, he turns and he t- and he turns to Ned, and Ned asks him like, basically, you know, how did you know why is Jon Aaron dead? Something along those lines, and. Varys tells him like it's because he's asking questions that's how he why he died which is exactly what Ned is doing right now so
1: yeah no
0: no seriously there you know it's really (coughs) funny um this chapter in Arya's chapter there's a couple moments that I I literally wrote in my book hint 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 like (laughs) this means something pay attention (laughs) (laughs) right so, um, so Madison, you were talking about how this chapter is kind of cut up into three different sections. What, uh, what would you say? I, each yeah, I feel
1: like there's kind of it's formatted in a part one, part two, part three mm-hmm. format. Where part one is um, Robert and the, the the important conversation that Robert and Ned have. I mean, Baris mm-hmm. and Selmy's there for a lot of it, but yeah, the Robert and Ned part. There is the tourney, and then there is um, the Ned and Varus. Mm -hmm. is very important as well so i kind of look at it in those three chunks i mean there's more that happens in between sprinkled in but to me you have your robert and ned the rest of the tourney and then robert or or ned and varis
0: perfect i love it so so brooke what did you think about this chapter just in general
2: um i really like this chapter like you guys have said there was so much packed into this chapter it was almost like three chapters in one Mm -hmm. in in itself i started out i'm like okay I, I read I read each chapter twice. Like, I know what's going on. I'm going to take less notes. And two and a half hours later, I'm still taking notes. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it was, it was a great chapter. Um, I, it was good to see the rest of the tournament because that's always exciting. Um, loved the fight between Gregor and Sandor. It almost perfectly mm. matched the show, especially the ending. And I could just see it in my mind's eye. You know what I mean? hmm no um,
0: i i totally agree when i read that i was like they nailed that just the, the, the perfect like i can visualize it right now just just uh mark addy as robert baratheon standing up yelling at him and then the hound mm-hmm. just drops to one knee and, and the mountain sword, sword literally just flies yep. over his head and i'm just like
2: oh
1: <laughs> so good i gotta read it yeah.
0: I should rewatch. I got to rewatch that scene. That's a very good scene.
2: Yes, but other than that, I like the little glimmer of hope that we got in Ned, even though it's going to be very short-lived. <laughs> <But>
0: <laughs> pretty, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you, you, uh, you know, honestly, just a general note about this chapter. I really liked how after after um, we go through Robert's midlife crisis, which we'll we'll talk about here in a little bit, um, I feel like Ned sort of like chills out a little bit. Yeah. Like he's sitting there talking to Robert and he's just like, man, we just like hashed over some great times. This is nice. And then there's even a shocking moment during the tournament. Like Littlefinger, like says something I came out to look when we get there, but he says something and Ned like smiles at what he said. Like, like it was like, it I was think just they friend- say
1: it twice in this chapter where they go, even Ned smiled. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <right>?
0: yeah. <laughs> I don't know, it was just really cool to be like, Man, it's so nice to take just a smidge, small little break from all this conspiracy and like worrying that people are going to die and just be like, hey, we're just going to have a great time for at least a little bit.
1: Well, and I would love to be able to read this from the perspective of someone who has never watched the show, doesn't really know the story and just read the books. Like I envy those people because, man, that would be nice to just be like, oh, you know, maybe this is going to go well. But that's pretty, (laughs) I mean, that's pretty standard Read like laws though. Like, if your protagonist basically spells out, like, this is what's going to happen, you know, that's not what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So, so I mean, it's pretty standard, um, Mm -hmm. writing right there. So, no.
0: Uh, no, I, hundred percent agree with that. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna reveal to you guys like a nerdy, nerdy like, um, like wish I had. I would love <laughs> to go back in time to when these books first came out, and so I could be like a try hard, like hardcore fan, and be like, oh yeah. I know. I re- I read this the day they came out. You guys don't understand (laughs) anything, you know. (laughs) I was nine. I read them right to add to (laughs)
2: Harrison's sassy comments on the page. I wish. I wish. (laughs) No, I'm right there with you, man.
1: Oh oh, (laughs) man.
0: I. Sorry, we're just. I'm just going on a little tangent here, but someone. Let's see. I, I had to resist to be from being like a big nerd this week because <coughs> someone posted up something like oh like oh no no yeah someone in the group posted up asking like hey if you were a king who would be your hand like the hand of the king and this guy posted like oh i'd have melisandre be my hand then i could just make shadow babies and kill everybody and, and i just wanted to be like <clears throat> now excuse me if you read the <laughs> books you'll notice that you can't actually yeah. make blah 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 and i was like don't do it, Harrison. It's
1: fine. <laughs> don't be that guy. Just don't be that dude. No. So one of my favorite Game of Thrones show analysts people on YouTube, his mm-hmm. name is Ozzy Man. Like You probably know who he is. Mm-hmm. But he, he always – so he refers to people who um, read the books first and then watched the show as book winkers. and he's like not to be a total book wanker but and i'm always like i wish i was a true book wanker i didn't read them because he's he's australian so like wanker is like a super aussie thing Mm -hmm. to say but it's funny because i'm like man i'm just jealous i wish i was a true book wanker
0: (laughs) if only right if only (laughs) <laughs> well, cool. hey, let's um, so we're going to we're going to start at the beginning of the chapter and we can kind of sprinkle in our thoughts and discussion as we kind of go through what happens in the book. Um, so the first scene we get is with um, Sir Hugh, who was um, a knight of the veil, vale who was killed by the mountain in the last tournament chapter. He's he's getting prepared. Pre- his body's being prepared by the Silent Sisters, which I think this is their first appearance
1: mm-hmm.
0: in the book. I actually liked it in the show. We got a better look at them in the very first episode, just as mm-hmm. a little side note there. Yes. Um, and I and I can't remember if you guys discussed this uh, for the week that I was gone, but do you guys think that Sir Hugh was murdered by the mountain? Was it just a freak
1: accident?
0: Like, what One of what do my you think?
1: discussion questions that I wrote tonight was, who do you think ordered the death of Sir Hugh? Because I mm-hmm. do believe that it was conspired.
2: I don't think it was a freak accident. Yeah. The, no, the, there's no coincidences in Game of Thrones. <laughs> right. Well,
0: well, well, the thing is this. Like, okay, so let let's let's take our tinfoil hats off and just assume, <laughs> like, okay, it just happened. If the thing is, the mountain could totally have just done that on his own. Just right. Because they asshole. do,
1: they do line out that the mountain is super murdery. So, like, maybe he just oh loves gosh, yeah. killing people. Right. I love that we got a a view of his home life a little bit. Like, right? you, know, you don't get that in a show. You don't get to learn about like all his wives and his father and, you know, his sister mm-hmm. that he probably killed. Like, like, I love that they outline that. Cause it really shows him more as like a super murdery villain, unless mm-hmm. just like a big beef head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: it, it just kind of blows my mind how, how bad and kind of evil he is. I mean, literally when you're reading his backstory, maybe we'll read it here in a little bit, but it, 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 I mean, where he lives sounds like this haunted mansion, you know, with a serial killer in it. Like it it talks about how like servants like go just disappear in the mm-hmm. night. His sisters are being killed. His father was apparently killed during a hunting accident, which just a big note, never go hunting in Game of Thrones.
2: <laughs> um,
0: it's
1: a bad idea.
0: Just a quick little list. You got the mountain who supposedly killed his father on a hunting trip. Robert dies on a hunting trip. Sam's father was going to kill him on a hunting trip. Going hunting is a bad thing, people. Just don't, <laughs> Ramsey's, don't do it.
1: Ramsey's hunts. <laughs> exactly.
0: Oh, yeah. Um,
1: but, but yeah, so yeah, I don't want to go. We'll, we'll
0: get to the mountain here in a little bit. But so let's assume that the mountain didn't kill him just on his own. So, Brooke, like, who do you think? Who do you think would have ordered the death of oh. Sir Hugh? Because Sir Hugh does have information on him. He was very close to John Aaron, that means that Sir Hugh probably has some insight into his death. What what John Aaron was up to? Because a lot of a lot of people that Ned was talking to was like, "Oh yeah, like like John Aaron was starting to breed dogs and was interested in that. He was reading this book that Pycelle gave him. So killing Sir Hugh had a purpose. Uh, Brooke, do you think? Who do you think put put the kill? on uh,
2: I think. Um not just going off of what we know in the books, but from the show and how things progressed, I got to go with Littlefinger.
0: Yeah, I, I just, that's, that's a definite.
2: I just feel like, <laughs> you know, we would want to think it'd be the Lannisters because at this point in time, we think it's the Lannisters who had something to do with Jon Aaron's death. But I, the only person I could think of who would really have a clear motive to do it would be would be Littlefinger.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I. I, I kind of have to agree with you there because... The thing is, you, you got to realize that the La- so we know the Lannisters didn't kill John Aaron, which also means the Lannisters aren't trying to cover things up. They're not right. trying to cover it up that they killed him because they're like, well, we didn't kill him, so why would we put forth the effort to stop people from figuring it out? Um, I mean, they are t- basically they're they're trying to h- cover up the twincest and and you know the Baratheon kids not being Baratheons, but. To get down to the to the nitty gritty of killing Sir Hugh, like I don't know if they go, I don't know if Cersei would go that deep into it. Uh, Madison, did you have any? Do you have any extra thoughts on that? I actually
1: have a different perspective on Mm, that. Yes, I love it. Yeah. So uh, first of all, I think it's totally plausible that it could have been Littlefinger, Um, Mm -hmm. and in fact. Quite a while back, George R. R. Martin was asked this question and he kind of left it open-ended like, Ooh, I don't know. Um, but <laughs> I have my own theory. <laughs> <So> um, <true. laughs> maybe, maybe it's because he's going to wrap it up someday in a book. Um, <laughs> but I think, so we learn in Arya's chapter that we're going to talk about here in a little bit, that Varus has a goal of postponing chaos. He mm-hmm. needs chaos. He wants chaos. His goal is chaos to weaken Westeros. But he needs that to be postponed. Mm-hmm. And Ned and the Starks coming into the picture really messed up his plan. It really sped things up. And, sp- and so I think that it could have been a um varus of you know a varus and um, yeah, I think it could I think it could have mm. come from a spider because. Yeah, he was trying too. to slow down the civil war that is impending.
0: Yeah. I like that because I, I yeah, get
2: because
0: I guess if let's say Sir Hugh didn't die, that would have that would allowed Ned to be able to speak with him earlier. Mm-hmm. It might have sped up his his you know inve- you know his uh, Sherlock Ned you know investigation,
1: yeah,
0: he <laughs> t- <laughs> um, which would have gave to the conclusion that the that Jamie and Cersei are
1: sleeping together. Okay. It's basically Ned at this it. point has a lot of pieces. He just needs to talk to somebody that can help him piece them together, and that was Sir Hugh Stannis or John Aaron.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and Stannis is nowhere. To-
1: a little bit, but yeah. Stannis is not is not answering his emails <laughs> and
0: yeah. Text, um, tweets nothing. He's gone. No, he off is, grid. No, he has gone
1: off grid. John is dead now. Sir Hugh is dead, and so I feel like I think that. Peter has his own agenda and Varys has his own agenda and Cersei and Jamie have their own agenda and sometimes the plays that the other person make just works out perfectly for the other guys but sometimes mm-hmm. they have to go, oh god that, that kind of, you know, this the Starks coming into the game really messed up a lot of people's plans
0: It did, Yeah, it, it very did, I mean the Starks were a huge wrench in a lot of plans mainly because they didn't know like okay, who's, like for example at, at the end of this chapter, Varys is trying to figure out what side he's on, like okay, like is he a selfish person who's trying to get power for himself? Is he going to go for the with the realm and what's best for it? So a lot of it is just people trying to figure out, like, okay, what's Ned going to do?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I I agree, like you know, yeah, that him coming down kind of threw everything off, and everyone's trying to figure figure out what he's up to. Um, one one note I did want to one point I would say that goes into it being Cersei is the chances of Sir Hugh and the mountain actually jousting against each other. Mm. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how that, I, I don't know anything about medieval jousting. I don't know how the lists are made. I don't there's know. Is it bracket it's like,
1: style? <laughs> yeah. yeah well, I'm assuming it's,
0: you know, like, generally bracket style, but like I don't Mark know. Madness? If it's, yeah, right. Uh, I just don't know if there's like a, a, a deep system to it or if it's just random pulls out of a hat, but I think Cersei would be in a position to be able to manipulate that and say, Hey, mm-hmm. like I need these two people to fight. I need the mountain good, and Sir Hugh to, to go against mm-hmm. each other. Yep. So that, that's just a point for Cersei and who knows, probably Littlefinger or Varus could have maybe got in there. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I think it was you, Brooke. I asked you the question. Do you think the mountain could be bought off in the yes. group? And I think you had a pretty good, good answer to it because I feel like, I don't know. I, I want you to imagine Littlefinger walking up to the mountain at like a bar, and be like, <laughs> "Hey, bro, like, how about you kill this dude for me?" And do do you think if Littlefinger was just like, "Hey, here's a bunch of gold, like, just do it," and the mountain's like, "Okay, I can," <laughs> you
1: know?
2: I I definitely think so. I think time and time again, um, as we saw in uh, Gregor's background, he is greedy. You know, he mutilated Sandor because he Sandor was playing with a toy that Gregor didn't even want. His father had an untimely hunting accident that just happened to allow Gregor to inherit all the gold, the family estate, and the titles, and I think... I think that he, he, and that's why probably more than likely, and I put this in my comment on there too, that he is so loyal to Tywin because a Lannister always pays in debts, and mm-hmm. what does Lannisters have an endless amount of gold? So I think I do think that he, Littlefinger could just walk right up to him and be like, "Hey, I need I need you to get rid of this guy. Here's you know two hundred, yeah, two hundred gold dragons or whatever." And he's like, "Okay, thanks. You know what I mean? I'll go do it. No problem." <laughs> yeah, I.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I can totally buy that, to be honest. I feel like the Mountain is just a, he's a Lannister guy through and through. And even, I mean, let, let's go with a the theory that it is Littlefinger. He could just go up and say, hey, the Queen needs you to do this. Mm-hmm. And he's probably sold after that. Uh, Masson, did you have any final thoughts on this?
1: Not this particular Not this topic. particular one? All right.
0: Sounds good. Okay, so um, I also just want to say, I kind of like this little res- respectful mini funeral, I guess you could say, that mm-hmm. Ned and Selmy are having for Sir Hugh. I kinda liked how they're talking like, hey, we let's send this armor to her to his mother. I'll pay the rest of the debts to the to the blacksmith. I was just like, go, you guys. You guys are such bros. I love right. it. Right. And even though
1: Ned is like a generation younger than Barriston, they're both pretty old school and like you can definitely tell they just have respect for fighting in general. And both of them are probably like, this is just so silly. Like what a, you know, what a useless death you know in a tournament and Mm -hmm. I like when he was like oh he wasn't ready he's like no like to die like (laughs) like, this is just (laughs) so I I like that they're both kind of just old school and reasonable list and they're Mm -hmm. there just to to really pay their respects and right, um, I I like how they kind of a nod to Sansa, how she was like "Hmm, well no one's going to sing a song about him and in this when they opened they are kind of hinting to that same thing like the thing is, it's kind of like an Eleanor Rigby funeral. Like, nobody came. Oh, it's...
2: You know, I know. It, it,
0: it, it's really rough. I mean, especially that comment that Sansa made that, you know, it doesn't... Like, there's... You can do all the great things in the world. Well, you know, you know. honestly, I, I was listening to a podcast that kind of compared this to um, Stannis Baratheon. Um, Ned, Ned often will... He mentions... When when Stannis was brought up, uh, Nettle mentioned like, oh, like, you know, when he held, he was, he was basically, he held a siege at Storm's End for like a year straight against the Tyrells mm-hmm. and all this, and how heroic and amazing that is, considering that the men that he had in that castle could have revolted and gave up at any point, but Stannis kept them together. But the thing is, no one's going to sing a song about that because it isn't heroic. It isn't like this. It wasn't flashy. yeah. Yeah, it wasn't right. flashy at all. And that's exactly how Sir Hugh died and how... A ton of people die. It's just like it wasn't flashy. It wasn't some something that I can rhyme, you know. <laughs> right. Like,
2: and it is sad bad. too because they mention it at least once. How like he had worked for to be a knight his entire life, and he's only been a knight for you know a few months, and now he he's dead. No, you know, with no glory under his belt or anything. And it's like, oh, that's sad.
0: <laughs> just just a call back to the last chapter. I, I remember reading it and um when he dies and Sansa's kind of looking at him and isn't feeling anything. And this, this uh, servant guy comes over and just kind of turns the sand over and covers up blood. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, his life was over that quick. And we're, we're moving on like that. Now we're moving of. on
1: to the next show. Maybe. Pretty mm-hmm.
0: much. Um, okay. So, um, Salmi and Ned are on their way to go see Robert who is preparing for the melee. Um, just a quick note before we get there. Um, let's see. So, they're, they're walking through all these tents, they're seeing all these sigils, these flags, and Ned's kind of going through naming a couple of them for us, and um, they pass by uh, one of the Kingsguard's um, tents, at Sir Marin Trance, and I just like this little line here, it, said, it says... Um, uh, so Sir Bra- uh, the king means to fight in the melee today, Sir Barrison said, as they were passing Sir Marin's shield. It's paint sullied by a deep gash where Loras Tyrell's lance had scarred the wood as he drove him from his saddle. I just I like that's I think that's a little hint towards Sir Marin Tramp being kind of a sleaze ball and kind of a terrible person. He's got that's this good white,
1: visual mm-hmm. right. He's got
0: this white mm-hmm. shield, it's supposed to be pure, it's supposed to be perfect, and there's just this giant gash straight through it. And I think that's that's just a nice little hint to what how to who he is and what he's going to do later on um so we arrive at robert's tent and and we get probably the best scene in the show ever with uh
1: yeah it's a great great break for comedic relief for sure (laughs) and like talk about perfect casting like hello king robert Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, probably top long making rain. <laughs> yeah, probably top
0: five best casting choices of all time, in my opinion. Um, awesome. So, so tell me, what do you think about Robert's sort of midlife crisis he's having here? He's basically he's getting he's trying to fit into his armor. Ned is like, well, you're too fat. Like, you're not going to fit in your armor. <laughs> and he ends up laughing about it. He sends Lor- Loris and Tyrek off to go find the breastplate stretcher, which is. A great line in the show yeah. and then <laughs>
1: um,
0: Sir Barrison and Ned are basically like look no one's gonna hurt you no one's gonna fight against you in the melee Yeah, you're just gonna win and then Ro- Robert gets like very angry about this like right. even to the point where he throws his armor at Salmate and he's like get out of here before I kill you and and that's a real threat at, in that mm-hmm. moment and so, so why do you think Robert is having this reaction like why is he so angry about this
1: I think it's a great comparison of the difference between Joffrey and Robert, whereas Joffrey's like, no one would touch me. I'm the prince. How dare you? (laughs) And Robert's like, well, what do you mean they wouldn't touch me? Like, I want to fight. I'm a man. I'm a warrior. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, like he he just hates being king. It's not at all like he thought it was going to be. He wanted, you know, he didn't think this all the way through. And the fact that Liana died and, you know, he got his songs. You know, he he mentions this a few times that he wants these songs to be sung about him. And, um, you know, he probably hates these songs that are sung about, uh, you know, Robert's Rebellion now because this reminds him of like when he was cool and when he had, you know, something to fight for. And he was, you know, swinging his war hammer and and. You know, just he was the man, and now he's like, God, I hate my life. Like, I'm fat, and I'm old, and you know, I'm basically a failure as a king. I'm kind of backpedaling now. Ned, can you help me? I think it's just all just a huge reminder to him that this is not what he thought it would be. So yeah, like he wants to, like, you know, I love this. I would love to see some fan fiction or something about the Cell Sword King. You know, he just so desperately wants to escape this life. But, you know, what's holding him back, the idea that he knows that his son is a horrible person. And the <laughs> only thing worse than having to live out this nightmare himself would be he has a conscience still leaving all of Westeros to Cersei, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he does, I guess it's somewhat redeeming that he has a conscious and like thinks about, man, I cannot let Joffrey be a king, but then he kind of stops right there. Like he doesn't do anything with that. Like he were, you know, they make the connection They're like, oh, well, when you were a kid, you were kind of a little shit too, but he was fostered by John Aaron and he makes the connection that Joffrey is a horrible human being yet. He just stops right there with his obligation to that. Like Mm -hmm. he's not like, yeah, we need to work with Joffrey and, you know, maybe find him a foster or we need to, you know, really keep him close and bring him to the small council meetings and train him how to be a king. No, like they just kind of stopped right there. So anyway, I'm just Mm -hmm. kind of rambling on, but I think it's just a sign of him. Mm -hmm. His, his reaction to being told he can't fight in the melee and that no one would truly fight him. It's just one more reminder that he just hates where he has ended up.
0: Well, I think, you hit you hit like ten points. I wanted to share, so good <laughs> job, Madison. You rock. Um, so just a couple. Uh, I, I'm gonna I, one thing I did want to say. Like, I feel like basically when he became king, everything that he loved in his life turned in just was kind of soiled by just
1: disappeared. Yeah, just disappeared.
0: Mm-hmm. He loved to fight. Now that's gone because people won't fight against him. Um, you know he 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 wants that competition. He wants to be tested, but it can't happen anymore. Um, I would say even um, when it comes to him being a womanizer and getting girls, like you know, it used to be almost. I bet. I, mean, I don't know. I imagine it was well, almost like a game. The chase
2: got t- taken away. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. The yep. chase is gone. He
1: he. he liked that he challenge. no one will say no to him. Like right. there's no challenge anymore. Because who's going to turn mm-hmm. down a king? Exactly. And there's no conquest. He can't brag about it. You know. He can mm-hmm. still. He can still have his whores, but he can't wear them like trophies anymore. Right.
0: So. Yeah. And the, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, if he goes up to a girl and is like, Hey, you know, do you want to come back with me? They're probably just going to say yes. Cause Oh, it's the King. I can get some favors out of this. Or I, I don't know who knows. He probably doesn't even do that. He, honestly, he probably just gets prostitutes. You know, it's, it's like, okay. Like this thing that I used to love, this chase for women is gone now. Cause I just pay for them now. And it's just, it's just a damn shame. <laughs> like, I just, yeah. I, I'm serious. Like Robert has this, like, very in the, I don't know, maybe not, maybe not in the background's the right word, but his life is really tragic to me. It's just like it is, yeah, especially
1: because like, he's, I think he's like borderline abused by Cersei, you know, in in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this it it's sad because he lost Lyanna, and I think, you know we have to wonder, does he love Liana or did he love the thought of her? Mm. Because well, it goes I to had... show right here that he didn't really know her at all. Uh-huh. Well, exactly. <laughs> I don't know yeah. that, yeah. that down.
2: Find... <laughs> I feel like he still has this unhealthy obsession for her because it's his justification for being so miserable. Had he not mm. started the rebellion to get her back, he wouldn't be in this situation. So he has to hang on to that obsession because otherwise, what was it all for? What was it all for? Right.
0: Exactly. That's well, yeah. Yeah. well, that's the thing because like... <sighs> basically the the rebellion didn't lead to anything that Ned and Robert wanted. He, you know, um, I know, I know at some point, I think it's in the next, cha- the next Ned chapter he talks about, Ooh. he says something along the lines of like, like we went to rebellion to stop the death of kids and the rebellion ended on the note of children being killed. Robert wanted the rebellion so that he could have Lyanna, so he could have the kingdom and he got the kingdom and he lost Lyanna and just, honestly the rebellion is just a terrible memory for both ned and um robert and i think what that's done is it's it's sort of made them both sort of live in the past you know what i mean you got you got robert who's just still fantasizing about liana you got ned who is just always he's always thinking back to liana again but just how things were he wants <coughs> to go back when Robert and Ned are talking about the good times in the veil he's like I want that back I want to go back to that and everything's just pretty terrible for them <laughs> right now I mean of course he got Ned's kids and all that that's always a positive but still um let's see well just back to that question of like you know did Robert li- lo- did Robert love Leanna I mean I think it's I think it's kind of obvious that he loves the thought of her i mean let's see let me see if i can find oh yeah okay here so here's a quote from after they tell him i think it's after they tell him like you can't fight in the melee or something around there um it says um let's see the mirth curdled on robert's face the woman tried to forbid me talking about cersei uh to fight in the melee she's sulking in the castle now damn her your sister would never have shamed me like that Hmm you never knew liana as i did robert ned told him you saw her beauty but not the iron underneath she would have told you that you have no business in the melee and i think that's just damning evidence that robert didn't really know her as much as we think that he knew her
1: well and it's like they were betrothed they weren't dating you know Mm -hmm. like like it's it's not like i think it was this, this big romanticized idea in robert's head like, I think mm-hmm. he was obsessed with her, but it's not like they had a long-term romantic relationship where they, you know, they, you know, loved each other. They were betrothed. It's different. So, you mm-hmm. know, well, we, it was we to love someone else.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it was definitely a strategic betrothal. I mean, it, it aligned mm-hmm. the Starks and the Baratheons. And... There's a whole conspiracy conspiracy about this. How it's called the Southern Ambition conspiracy about how all these huge houses are intermarrying so that they can basically take down the Targaryen dynasty. And maybe we'll get into that another day. But that was part. That's that was part of the plan was that the Starks and the Baratheons, two of the ma- big major houses of Westeros, were going to betroth two of the you know two of the biggest people in those houses so that they can be solidly aligned for this rebellion to happen. Um, let's see. Let's see. Um, we went over Leanna, Robert's midlife crisis, which is still really sad to me.
1: Oh, another thing is they, when he's talking about Loras, he mentions Marjorie and, Mm. um, that kind of confirms what we were talking about last week about Renly and, um, Loras's, um, plan to get Robert to marry Marjorie. So Exactly. Yes. When we were when the we were talking about theories it. last week, I forgot that it's basically confirmed in this next Yeah, chapter. right.
0: I was I I know, I felt kind of smart when I thought of it. And then I was like, well, in this chapter, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah. In this chapter, Robert says something like, Oh yeah, like he showed me this photo of Marjorie, and she's like super hot. Like he's like, Oh, 14.
1: Yeah, yeah boom. I'm oh, like, oh. You.
2: <laughs> I know, right? It kills me.
0: And then actually, um, we'll get to it in the Arya chapter, but Varys actually confirms it too he says something yeah. about Loras and Renly's plans going forward and things like that um I did I did want to mention something about Robert wanting to become the sellsword king what I what I what I find really cool about that line is so Robert's basically like I, mi- I, I love when people sing songs about me basically he loves that fantasy about himself he loves the romanticize of himself. And what's really cool is when I read that line, I was like, "I want to just leave the kingdom, and I want to become the sellsword king." When I first thought that, I had I had the same th- thought you had, Madison, where it was like, "Wow, that sounds like a total new story. I would love to read that story." You know, and that's mm-hmm. it, it's just it's really cool to me that that George R. R. Martin sort of breaking the wall and is like, "You want to hear the story as the audience reader." And that's yeah. exactly how Robert's feeling. He wants that story to be told.
1: Yep, he knows. He's like, that's, yeah, I miss the, ha- having these songs sung about me. But I, he does kind of have a moment of redemption where he's like, listen, there's still time, though. Like, we can't have, like, those songs aren't going to be sung about me. And I'm tired of the old songs that are sung about me. But they can still write songs about me being a great king. Now that you're here, you know, I'm still young. Like, we can still turn this around and I can be a great, great king. <laughs> so he does kind of have that moment of redemption where he's like, that's just a dream, but I'm going to do the right thing, which is Edard's next chapter. He kind of mm-hmm. forgets all his great ambitions to do the right thing. But um, in this moment, it really is, like Brooke said, it's a nice moment where for once everything's going right. And, you know, Ned really feels confident that he's like, OK, like once I get all the pieces lined up, like I feel confident that he will you um, know, listen to me.
0: Mm hmm. I agree. Um another note I want I don't, to I don't know. Robert is so difficult for me sometimes cuz sometimes I'm like, man, Robert lost so much. That's so rough. And then I'm like, man, you totally brought that on yourself. And then, right. you know, I, I keep bouncing back and forth. And one part that really has me like, Robert, shut your mouth. He he basically he says um they're talking about um let's see, let's see basically robert's talking to them like why did i have to be king why couldn't it be you why couldn't it have been john and then Mm -hmm. robert literally says what look what you have done to me like it says that in the book like well look what you've done (laughs) you know it's just so like like you put me in the position that i had to be king due to you know my lineage or it was my rebellion you know it was robert's rebellion which is which is kind of interesting to me by the way because robert isn't the one who started the whole thing right um just a quick little history lesson about it. Basically, the Mad King wanted Ned and Robert dead. He he wanted their heads, and then John Arryn's actually the one who basically said, "No, I'm protecting my, I'm protecting the people I'm fostering." And he raised his banners and he went to war against the Mad King. So really, it's John. It's almost like John Aaron's rebellion. I'm just mm-hmm. wonder. I'm just curious if maybe it was like, the like like a political thing or like a, a media thing. I, I don't know if that exists in, in Westeros, but you know, having Robert be the face of it, I just find it, found it kind of interesting that he was the yeah. one who got the name of the rebellion.
1: Has alliteration. Whole- Robert's yeah. rebellion. It sounds good. It comes <laughs> off the tongue.
0: That's true. It's a, it's a nice roll off the tongue. <laughs> it's I like a media it. Spin. <laughs> um, let's see. I, so I have a lot of notes on this section, so I just want to make sure I get to it, to it all.
2: I will say I get the whole going back and forth between like feeling pity for Robert and being like, Oh, you're so frustrating because when he was talking about um Cersei and how cold she is, and he says, I am sorry for your girl, Ned, truly. About the wolf, I mean, my son was lying, I'd stake my soul on it. It's like You're the king. You could have stopped him. That didn't have to happen. What a
1: pushover.
0: Well, okay. What I find, by the way, my wife is commenting in the live show and she basically, she's like, Robert's a tool and I don't have any sympathy sympathy for him, which is fine (laughs) because that that is definitely one way to see it. What I find kind of interesting by the way is, so Robert's like, man, I'm sorry that lady died. That's rough. And kind of like you said, like, okay, Robert, you're the king. You could have stopped that from happening. And what I find interesting here is that Robert is like, I will fight in the melee. You know, I'm not going to listen to what Cersei tells me to do. Yes. And it's like, whoa, hold on, bro. You, you literally like crippled. Like, like you, your knees gave out when it came to the order to kill Lady. He was just like, fine, just do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if it's a selfish thing. You know, like the melee is something that I'm going to do. I need to prove myself. I need to be a manly man.
2: Could be and
0: and maybe the thing with Lady was just like I'm just tired of it. I just it, yep. it doesn't it, it basically keeping Lady alive didn't really benefit Robert directly. It it, it would have benefited him because it would have kept Ned in a better you know standing with Robert, but it didn't affect Robert mm-hmm. directly. And this command from Cersei to not fight in the melee affected him straight to to his pride. Like his pride yep. was severely hurt.
1: I agree yeah, with but that. in the end, he mm-hmm. ended up. She ended up getting her way. <coughs> Both times, like, <laughs> right. yeah, like it, that, that. It wasn't. It wasn't necessarily mm. a direct result of what she said, but her threatening him and throwing a big fit probably, whether he admits it or not, had some influence. He's like, well, Ned and Rob, or not, um, Ned and Barristan. And, you know, Cersei all don't want me to do it, and my armor won't fit, so you know what? Screw it. <laughs> like he, Either way, he still didn't end up doing it, so she did still get her way. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: um, let's see, so an- another note that you said, Madison, was um, talking about how why Robert doesn't just leave. It's just, you know, drop his role as king and leave, and um, the quote here um, from Robert, um, let's see, so let me tell you a secret, Ned. More than once I have dreamed of giving up the crown. Take ship for the free cities with my horse and my hammer. Spend my time warring and whoring. That's what I was made for. The sellsword king. How the singers would love me. You know what stops me? The thought of Joffrey on the throne. With Cersei standing behind him, whispering in his ear. My son. How could I have made a son like that? Ned. Which, by the way, that's where I wrote hint hint. It's like, <laughs> how could I made a son like that? Because you did not Yeah. It. yeah. <laughs> um, so let me yeah. tell you this: Does this line redeem Robert in your eyes? This is like, wow! Like, he does care about the realm. Like, it, it almost kind of shocks me to be honest. I wouldn't have expected to read that from Robert. Brooke, did, did you look like you're about? You have something you just gotta it, say. It,
2: <laughs> it did for like two seconds until he was like, meh, let's go get some breakfast. I'm done with this conversation." Yeah. All right. So, <laughs>
0: with I, I agree, and with that in mind, let me ask you this: Why do you I, I don't know if we'll be able to give a. A certain answer to this but why do you think um Joffrey Tommen and and Marcella, along with the Stark kids why do you think none of them were fostered like Ned and Robert were because 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 from what it sounds like Ned and Robert were fostered for a long time like they were in the veil for years and none of the Stark kids or the Baratheon slash Lannister kids were ever fostered do you think there's a reason for that do you think being fostered turn out to be a bad thing in the eyes of Ned and Robert?
2: Um, I think for Tommen and Marcella I think it's just as a matter of age at this point. They're still pretty tiny okay. um, and I don't think you would send your only heir to be fostered so that's why Joffrey didn't go. The Stark children are interesting though. They definitely I feel right? like Maybe you you know maybe Rob should have stayed because again he was the heir to Winterfell, but Bran is getting to the age where he could have been sent off and, and fostered somewhere. Um, well, you know, well, okay, so j- know. J- just
0: just another note of that: Robert was fostered, but he he's mm-hmm. he was actually the heir to storm to Storm's End.
2: True. This so
0: is true. I I'm thinking I'm thinking this might just be a um, it's in the script kind of a thing,
2: mm. like
0: it's just kind of the way it is. My. But I don't know. Maybe it had a negative effect on, uh, had some negative effects on Ned and Robert. He, you know, maybe the thought of like, well, I was fostered with Robert. This led to a rebellion. Maybe it's just like a subconscious thing. I don't want to send my kids off somewhere and not be able to help them if something bad happens. I know, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I know Robert is worried about a war coming. We read about that when um, Ned and Robert are on their way down from King's Landing. So maybe Robert's not ready to foster any of his kids.
1: Yeah, I don't know, because to me it seems like all of their nostalgia and their good memories and their fondness for each other comes from that fostering. So it seems like they would have nostalgia on their side for being pro-fostering. So, I mean, because it almost seems like like the, the girls would go to court to learn to be ladies, and then the boys would be fostered to learn to, you know, be lords like that's kind of like the equivalent of how i saw it in my mind so i don't know why maybe it's just like you said maybe it's because we needed these characters in play and it was just for the point of the story but i've Mm -hmm. wondered that myself as well Mm -hmm. all right
0: good discussion guys i like that do you guys have any other thoughts about um about robert's midlife crisis scene that you guys want to talk about because, I, I mean, I, I mean the, we, we, we had a ton of discussion on it. I just want to make sure we hit all the notes. Well, I, think
2: um, that's the I got on that part of it. Uh, okay. of it.
0: Um, I did have one note. This actually is going to connect back to the previous chapter that I wasn't able to discuss with you guys. Um, let me see if I can find it just real quick here. Okay. Okay. So, um, it says... So when Ned and, Rob, Ned and uh, Salmi are approaching the tent, it says, the king's, the king's pavilion was close by the water, and the morning mist of the river had wreathed, wreathed in wisps of gray. It was all of gold and silk, the largest and grandest structure in the camp. Now, note that, and let me see if I can get to that Sansa chapter real quick, because there's a really cool connection between his tent being, being this kind of gold and silk. Let me see. Do you, do you guys remember what number that San, the last Sansa chapter was? Sansa 2.
1: Changed, yep. Sansa I'm pretty two. sure because I was so shocked that it was only her second chapter.
0: Right? Isn't that – well, I think she only gets like four chapters or so. Um, okay. Okay, cool. So this is the beginning of Sansa 2. It says, Sansa rode to the Hand's tourney with Dane and Jane Poole in a litter with curtains of yellow silk so fine she could see right through them. They turned the whole world gold. So in terms of Sansa's chapter it, I find it so interesting that that the curtains on the pavilion sort of filter the world mm-hmm. into this gold world like basically Sansa is living out her whole her full fantasy in that chapter and uh, and just a note this Sansa's chapter is in my top five favorite chapters so you'll hear me okay. talk about it at the end of the end of the books but it's kind of this filter she's seeing everything through this light that is turning everything to a fantasy and I kind of feel like Robert, is sort of living like that. Just having that connection that his tent is that same kind of gold kind of silk. It, you know, he's mm-hmm. trying to live in the past. He's trying to live as the warrior he wants to become. And it's just all fantasy. So I, I, that was just a little note that I had there. Um, okay. Okay. So next we get into the, um, the, the joust in between, Oh, did you have a thought mask?
1: Well, actually, I just I did a little bit of research on something. And before I get too far away from this tournament part, I thought I would bring it up just because I thought it was interesting. Um, I looked up some um, conversions on golden dragons to Ooh. like modern day currency, and it absolutely blew my mind. <laughs> so I know okay. that in the tournament, we hear about um what the what the purse was, what the win, what the prize was for winning. And um and then in the next chapter, he uh no no I'm sorry, in the in the Catelyn chapter, Tyrion gave someone one golden dragon for their bed. And so we we may mention golden dragons a lot recently. So Mm -hmm. um so this says that one golden dragon equaled 210 silver stags and 210 silver stags equaled no sorry One silver stag equaled eleven thousand seven hundred and sixty coppers. <laughs> okay, that and is so, some, wow.
0: just so you know that is some straight Harry Potter like money conversion, <laughs> right? In <my> yeah. mind.
1: <laughs> okay, and so in in Duncan Egg, which was ninety years prior to current time, okay, in the <laughs> Duncan Egg Adventures, they state that a man could live well on three gold dragons a year. Wow. So that was 90 years prior. So I'm sure that the value has changed some, you know, how that happens. Mm. (laughs) But so a man could live on three gold dragons a year, live well, it says. Um, And then I did some conversions on this little tool that you could Google, but basically like the winning purse, like what was um, Thoros of Mir won what, 10,000 gold dragons for the archery competition? Is that right?
0: Um, Uh, Yes, I believe so. Okay, I can't remember.
1: It was literally like eleven million dollars or something.
0: <laughs> okay, so just a note on that. Actually, the art for the archery competition. So I think the character's name is Angai. I want to mm-hmm. say is the person who wins it.
1: Okay,
0: so, sure. So we're gonna run into him later on, and we find out that he his tournament winnings they're gone. Like he spent all of his money.
1: Yeah, and it's <laughs> like and that's what I was reading. Some like there was like the, it was a like a blog post or something where they were mm-hmm. breaking all this down. And they're like, how does somebody spend that kind of money? Like even if you were eating the finest foods thing in the like, that's more than, than like some highborn lords had to their name.
0: Right.
1: Um, and the, that's why I'm like and then and the crown
2: is how many gold dragons in debt? Six yeah. million.
0: Six million. So that's yeah.
2: like a trillion dollars <laughs> or something. Well that it's also true. It's interesting when Cersei offers up a hundred golden dragons for Nymeria's pelt. That's a lot of money. Oh my gosh, right?
0: (laughs) Well, you you know what? Honestly, that that actually emphasized to go back to that scene of Cersei, you know, offering that much money for the Pelt, I think that kind of emphasized why Robert maybe he decided just to kill Lady was he didn't because the thing is like if you offer that, it's like okay, that's enough money to last you a lot of years for you to be fine. So and he didn't want all these just random people. You know, so that'd be (laughs) that'd be all the Lannister men plus any dairymen that were in that castle that day plus anybody who could hear what Cersei was saying. Imagine all those people just rushing through the lands looking for this little scared girl and her wolf, and they got blood in their eyes because they're like, "I gotta, I've gotta get this wolf so that I can get the money," so on and so forth. So yeah,
1: that's a fortune basically.
0: Yeah, that's like a that's like a fourth of a point to Robert for me. I'm like, okay, I understand (laughs) why you did that, and I think it was. I mean, I mean, Killing Lady was still not okay. But for him to find out, like, okay, I don't want that to happen.
1: All right. That's, oh, And something else good. during the, um, the tournament scene, before we move on, that, mm-hmm. like, I can give Ned some slack because, like, you, you know, you can't expect everyone to be as observant as a reader is. Mm-hmm. But um, Renly does say in mm. uh, the tournament that if, um, if Tyrion were here, I would be another hundred gold dragons richer. Because it's like basically known amongst them that Tyrion would have bet on his brother, mm-hmm. and I'm guessing because even though Peter um, yeah Peter Baelish tells that to Catelyn in their conversation, we have to assume that Catelyn relayed all that information to Ned, and so in his in his chapter from his perspective, we hear that happening, and so you kind of you want to be like Ned like listen. Like mm-hmm. they're like they're giving evidence right there that like you know the information you have is false, but he doesn't pick up on that. Yeah. <laughs> but again, you can't really hold it against him because right. we are being super observant, and well, you know, he's just trying to have a good time.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I I also remember um, I don't like so so we get that hint in this chapter, and then in Tyrion's chapter, Tyrion basically says like I would never bet get bet against my brother, and I remember when I first read that I was like. That makes so much sense, and I feel like an idiot that I didn't see that. Right. So, you know, just well, on that first Renly, reread, when you're not Yeah, Renly, who
1: has her. no love for Tyrion, you know, no,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: preference or bias or anything, was like, oh, if he were here, I would for sure have made another hundred thousand, or hundred gold mm-hmm. dragons.
0: Um... so so that happened that so um that happens after the joust between jamie and the hound Mm -hmm. and by the way i I do just like the little humor they put in here of jamie having his helmet like twist around and he's like flailing around trying to go you know find a way to get his helmet off i was like (laughs) man i I feel like that was grim definitely like i'm just gonna like poke jamie right now because he's kind of being an ass and (laughs) you know (laughs) let's just make fun of him just a little bit there um, okay, so next comes up the the big the big scene. This is where um, the the knight of the flowers, Loras Tyrell, and the mountain are going to joust. Um, let's see what what is it like. Loras Tyrell's horse is in heat, which yeah. is making the mountain's horse go kind of nuts, which would which is what leads to to his horse not staying straight right. during the fight. He falls, ends up killing the horse, which. It's probably it's pretty dang tragic <laughs> that horse yeah. doesn't do bad anything.
1: I know a lot of wow. horses really get a bum ending in this show.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You're right, especially yeah, Tyrion's chapter. His horse is getting eaten at the very yeah. beginning of the and chapter. A lot of that, horses uh,
1: die in that chapter. <laughs>
0: you, you know, I, I will say this: what I what I kind of liked about ju- in, the scene with the you know the death of the horse. I feel like I feel like it was very set up of good guy and bad guy in this scene. You know, you had this elegant knight who's who has freaking flowers like sewn into his cape you know <laughs> mm-hmm. and he's got the finest armor that you could ever think of defeating this giant you know in black armor you know dark dark guy and it's just kind of interesting it's, it's like okay like this is like a fantasy good guy versus bad guy good guy wins and then i feel like when the mountain kills the horse it's sort of everybody in the audience is just shocked and the fantasy is gone
1: yeah. it's like he's throwing a temper tantrum oh, because i mean because i think he is pretty quick to realize that uh, loris p- planned that that he cheated and basically
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah i mean i mean yeah it, it it definitely has a hint that he planned that out i think I... he
1: did yeah, oh, which yeah, I, I think which he I, I think he knew like I'm going to die unless I get crafty.
0: Yeah. Well, well, and which I find pretty unsportsmanlike, but I, I think right? I think that's I think honestly I think that is also another little hint that you know, just like our view on Loras is mainly through Sansa. That's the most of the interaction we see is with Sansa and once again we have that those ro- rose-colored glasses on from Sansa talking about how amazing Loras is and maybe this is a little hint that like hey, he's not all that he cracks up to be it's just kind of a show for him um that is emphasized pretty heavily when um so loris ends up giving sansa like a you know the red rose and tells her how beautiful she is and later in the books he actually can't sansa like brings it up to him and loris is like i i have no idea what you're talking about Mm. and it's really like heartbreaking it's just like Do you know how much that meant to (laughs) Sansa? You like (laughs) changed her life that day, and he's just like, "Oh, I I don't know. I give out a lot of flowers." Like, (laughs) yeah, it it, it, kind of. But also, I mean,
1: like we have to remember too that Loras, the day before, watched him kill somebody doing the same exact thing. So it may have made him be like, "Listen, guys, that's a good point. (laughs) We need to think outside the box because I'm going to end up with a big splinter in my jugular if I don't." Right. if I don't, get a little crafty here.
2: Do you think that um, Grimm focused so much on making Loris's armor so ornate to show that like the Tyrells are a rich driving force in this story, oh, and for they should sure. take on the Lannisters? Because his his armor could have just been painted with the blue forget-me-nots, but they weren't painted. They were sapphires, sapphires. you know what I mean? So... <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. No, I think it's I think it, the, I think this is definitely a way for him to show us like, hey, if anyone's going to take on the Lannisters, it's going to be the Tyrells.
1: Right. They, it's they, it's a it's, great example of subtle world building. Like He's showing yeah. you how what the what the hierarchy and the the political landscape is in this world. He's showing you that the Tyrells are filthy rich. They literally have sapphires dripping off of their clothing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a great way to put that. I like that. Um, okay. So one of the discussion questions I wanted to bring up is, okay, so what do you think the purpose of the mountain is in terms of the story? Because he's one of the very few characters. I can think of three characters that I, I would label as just bad guys. Just straight bad guys. There's nothing really redeeming about the mountain. He never does anything that you're just like, oh my gosh, he is a sensitive person. He saved those squirrels from that (coughs) fire, you know, 10 years ago. So, like, why do you think Grimm made him so bad? Like, do you guys have any thoughts on that?
1: I think he just needed to have a built in, ready to go bad guy so Mm -hmm. that whenever he needed one, he could pull him out of his pocket and we wouldn't question it. Like mm, we're like, like, well, that. he's a bad guy. What are you gonna do?
0: Yeah, it's just the way it is. I think, yeah, I think part of the reason the the purpose of him is he exemplifies what is wrong with knighthood.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I think that's extremely um apparent in terms of the hound story with the mountain. I mean, Just a quick... I'm probably going to jump back to that chapter just because I wasn't able to discuss it. But um, (laughs) but Just to go over over the Hound story real quick, I mean, he's playing with a toy knight, which I think emphasizes that at one point the Hound wanted to be a knight.
1: Of course he did. He's playing with the toy. He's super
0: excited about it. He still has that fantasy about him. And then the mountain comes in, shoves his face in the fire, and... I mean, and then and then and then the Hound's father, and the Mount, the Hound of the Mountains' father, are trying to cover, cover it, it up that nothing mm-hmm. happened, and then just and then for the Hound to see the Mountain knighted by uh, who knighted him?
2: I think it's said Rhaegar, didn't it?
0: I think it yep. is Rhaegar.
2: Rhaegar.
0: I, I'm gonna put my money on Rhaegar, um, just to see Rhaegar Targaryen knight him. Just, I mean, just filled in with this bitterness and this hate. And for us as the audience, we can look at the mountain and he's just the glorifying example of what is wrong Mm -hmm. with knighthood and that it's not, it's not all what it's cracked up to be.
1: Yep. And him being pure bad also helps with Sandor's character development as well. Mm -hmm. Like we are able to relate to him and sometimes sympathize with him because now we know that he's had this experience with someone who's just pure evil.
0: Yeah, yeah. It gives us an enemy for him. Mm -hmm. It gives him, you know.
1: So no matter how bad he is, we think, well, there is reasons behind. It may not, it may not always justify what he does, but it is a valid reason to point to his trauma with what he went through.
0: Mm -hmm. I agree. So, since we're since we're talking about the hound and the mountain, so what happens is um, the mountain is defeated by by Loris. The mountain kills his horse. He grabs the sword and goes after the mountain grabs his sword to go after Loris, and Loris can't get his sword out in time. He's knocked off his horse. The mountain goes for his kill and the hound shows up to defend him. Now, um, so the fight's going on and what I found, what I found interesting is here, but by the way, just so everyone is aware, this is Gain Bowl right here. So if we don't see it again, it's okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it, It's fine if that scene in the show doesn't happen in the books. I think it was a decent scene, just my opinion. I was happy
1: with it, yeah.
0: I yeah. was fine with it. Mm-hmm. Um, if it doesn't happen again, we already had our ball. That's right, right here. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the quote here during the fight says, uh, The mountain pivoted and pivoted, in wordless uh, fury, swinging his longsword in a killing arc with all his massive strength behind it. But the hound caught the blow and turned it. And for what seemed an eternity, the two brothers stood hammering at each other as a dazed Loras Tyrell was helped to safety. Thrice, Ned saw Sir Gregor uh, aim savage blows at the hound's head head helmet. Yet not once did Sandor send a cut at his brother's unprotected face. So, So we know that the hound hates the mountain. He hates his brother. We're in a situation where the mountain is... Kind of got gone blood crazy. He's trying to kill the Hound, and yet the Hound isn't trying to kill him back. So why do you think the Hound isn't trying to kill the Mountain right here? Why isn't he just going full ham? I mean, because think about this. Let's say the Hound ended up killing the Mountain in this scene. I doubt anyone would be like, oh my gosh, the Hound totally murdered the Mountain. Arrest that guy.
1: Yeah, because it was in a competitive you know, spectator format. And mm-hmm. because, I mean, everyone could clearly see what just happened.
0: Yeah. So, right. So he has a perfect opportunity. I mean, he could totally get away with it. So why do you think the hound didn't, didn't try?
1: I don't know. Especially since from this point on his whole life goal is to kill his brother. Right? That's why I'm like, yeah. no, that wasn't Clegane because he had, he didn't kill him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. I'm, uh, I don't really have a definite answer, but I'm curious if, him telling his story to sansa had an effect on it Hmm. i don't know if maybe the hound was like i don't want to stoop to the levels of my brother maybe maybe it i don't know maybe it uh brought some hope back into the hound thinking maybe i can be as noble of a a knight as a you know be a true noble knight without actually being one and if i go after my brother like this i wouldn't be
1: or maybe he's like, dang it, I just told somebody my true motives. True. And not just anybody, the daughter of the hand of the king, Dang it. Now I can't kill him. Well,
0: well, you just ruined that whole thing. That-
1: <laughs> it's a debate show, here. Yeah, well, I guess. I guess.
0: I, I don't know. I feel like I don't know, I definitely think that his co- the conversation he had with Sansa I think had a, an impact on him.
1: Well, for sure because I feel like from that point on this is when we get to see glimpses of him being having soft mm-hmm. at least at least potential for mm-hmm. for kindness or moments of softness. So he obviously has a special relationship with Sansa and so May, yeah, I, I like your version better. Just FYI.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I like. I don't know if that's the 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 real answer. I might maybe I'll do a little research on that. But I think that is definitely a question that just you know that is worth looking at because yep. just like all the points I laid out, he totally could have killed the mountain right there, and no one would have batted an eye at it.
2: Right.
0: Right. Um. Okay. Cool. So, um, is there anything else you guys have on? I want to talk about the about the ha- the the mountain and Loris and all that. I don't
1: think so, but it was yeah, cool scene. So. Cool. Mm-hmm. It
0: was a great scene. Um, I keep
1: saying scene because it's a scene in my mind, you know. Right. <laughs> um, let's see. I think I uh,
0: let's see. Oh, just a note by the way. I like how when the joust between Loras and the mountain begin, Sansa's like, Oh father, don't let him hurt Sir Loras. And I'm just like, what do you think Ned is supposed to do? Like, right. Is Ned just going to be like, Oh, okay. I'll get up and, you know, (laughs) protect him, I guess. Like, I don't know. It it was just kind of interesting to me. Um, Let's see. We talked about that. Okay. um, So next up we, we, um, we get to see the melee and the archery competition. Um, One note that I, I want to make on the melee that I kind of found interest I found interesting was let's see if I can shorten it real quick um so the melee went on for for 3 hours near 40 men took part free riders and hedge knights and new made squires in search of the of, of a reputation They fought with blended weapons and a chaos of mud and blood, small troops fighting together and then turning on each other as alliances formed and fractured until only one man was left standing. The victor was the Red Priest, Thoris of Mir, a a madman who shaved his head and fought with a flaming sword. Just so you know, I kind of secretly want to be in a melee because that sounds really intense. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like... um, this is probably stretching a bit, but I feel like this whole melee scene is like a mini synopsis of what's going to happen in these books. You know, just they're talking about the war alliances forming betrayals happening. And then who's the guy standing at the very end. It's mm-hmm. Thoris of myrrh with his flaming sword, basically a symbol for high that he is going to be the victory in the end. So just um, I don't, I, I
1: visual reasons, the melee, is that like what we saw um, in the show, when Jorah fought to be the last one standing in front of Daenerys,
0: um, probably something similar to that. Probably just with a lot more people. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> you just got a bunch of people in a mm-hmm. in a coliseum, and they oh. just fight so there's one what man I, left.
2: What I always what I thought about when I saw this was: Have you ever seen Shrek? At the beginning, when <laughs> yeah. the Lord far tra- yes. far quad and gotta fight everybody. That's the melee. <laughs> it was that's a wrestling good.
0: ring. Just, just, just admit it. Yeah, that's funny. Um, so, just a note about the melee. Um, so, to go back to to Robert and Selmy talking to to Robert about it, um, I found it kind of funny that Ned's like, "Oh, like no one's no one will hurt you in the melee. You're just gonna win." What? when in reality there was a plot to kill Robert mm-hmm. and it's like, Oh, so someone would have hurt you and someone would have killed you. And another, I, I don't have an answer for this, but I am curious who was supposed to kill Robert. Like, I feel like Cersei would have had to t- to pick a person or mm-hmm. a few people and tell them, Hey, I will pay you to kill Robert. Like, like who does she trust enough to do that? Right. Because, because, I feel like Cersei wouldn't leave it up to chance. I don't think she would have been like, "Oh, just he'll just go in and he'll just happen to die." You know, I feel like she would have to set it up in a way that he w- he would end up being killed. So, I don't have an answer for that, but I just I think it's something to keep in mind. Um, let's see, let's see. Supposed to kill Ryan. Okay, so, um, so after the tournament. We do get a small meeting between Ned and Aria. Aria's bruised up. <laughs> Sansa even makes a comment like, wow, you must be a terrible dancer.
1: You don't have all these bruises. Which it's I found so cute way. that she still thinks she's dancing. I know.
0: <laughs> right. that, 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 that's, how, that's how out of it Sansa is in terms of what Aria's up to. <laughs>
2: oh,
0: well, okay, actually, so that just reminded me. So it's kind of obvious that Arya isn't dancing. She's obviously doing something else sansa isn't paying attention to her and actually in the books after the craziness happens and the starks are betrayed by the city watch and so forth one of sansa's chapters is talking about how she gave information to cersei and so on and so forth and like one of the last lines in the in her chapter is like huh i wonder what Arya's doing i didn't even think about her Hmm. it's really depressing like it's literally like like her whole like all all the guards who came to Winterfell are dead. Her dad's in custody. She's being held basically as a prisoner by the Lancers and she didn't and her think about sisters,
1: her just her an afterthought. afterthought. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. just a
0: total afterthought. So wow, that, that was a good little connection there. Um, so that happens, and then Varys ends up coming to Ned to talk to him. Um, he informs Ned that there was a plot to kill the king during the melee. Uh, Ned's kind of shocked, shocked. Like, like, why didn't you bring this information to me? And then Varys talks about, "Hey, I was just trying to figure out what kind of person you were. Did you guys have any thoughts about this last Varys scene before we move to the next chapter?" Uh, let's...
1: Um, I love how I, I just love that. I think it's the last line, and we already mentioned it once, but I love where he just says, you know, what was, what was he doing that they had to kill him? He's just, like asking questions. <laughs> and I think that's <laughs> just showing that not only is he like, shut up, but it's showing that like we, you know, yeah, we, everyone notices what you're doing, Ned. Like mm-hmm. me, Littlefinger, Cersei, like we are all quite aware of what you are doing. Like that is exactly what got him killed. What are you thinking? So I liked how they ended that with that line. Ask mm-hmm. questions,
0: right? Yeah, it's it's nice. It's a little foreboding for him.
1: Varys um, is a really good secret agent of his disguises too, <laughs>
0: right? Right, like I wish we kind of saw that in the show. We didn't get any mm-hmm. of that in the show, right. and I feel like that's kind of a big part of him that he's able to disguise so well, especially, especially. I mean, especially if you compare him in this chapter, he's a lot more serious. He's a lot more forthcoming he's straight to the point and when you compare him to like when Ned first met Varys I mean he's all you know Varys is like oh my gosh poor Joffrey and I'm gonna shake your hand and leave powder stains on your <laughs> sleeve and you know like, like this guy is such a creep and then you read this chapter and you're like dude Varys is in the game like he is on top mm-hmm. of it he's moving his chess pieces he's making the move to trust Ned I mean it's a big big deal um let let's see. I just had a couple little things in this chapter. Um I find it interesting that um it talks about so so Ned's kind of going through, you know, the plot to that the plot to kill Bran, the dagger, things like that. And he mentions he's looking out the window and he sees Littlefinger's light on in his room and I was like that's interesting that Littlefinger can look into the tower of the hand. Like, you know, Littlefinger went up there and was like, "Oh, look at all these people who can spy on you." Like, you know, that's Cersei's spy, and that's Varys's spy. And it's like, dude, Littlefinger can literally watch you. <laughs> like, yeah, doesn't
2: have to yeah. send a spy. He Isn't that himself. just like
0: a little obvious there? Um, I also like how um, Varys is talking about the plot to kill Robert, and um, he mentions um, Thoris of Mir, and he says, um, amidst all that chaos with horses screaming and bones breaking, and Thoris of Myr waving that absurd fire sword of his. I think that's just a little hint to Varys's hatred of the Red God. Mm-hmm. I thought that was just a cool little thing he threw in there.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, let's see. My last note is, um. so when, when Varys, let's see, do I, let me see if I have it. Yeah. Um, so Ned, so Varys tells Ned of the plot. Ned felt his anger rise. You knew this plot. Yeah. You did nothing, nothing. You didn't tell me. It says that he's shocked by it. And I, it's kind of an interesting parallel to Robert. Um, Ned views himself as a trustworthy person that he's going to do the right thing he's an honorable person so he's shocked when people don't trust him and I think Robert is kind of the yeah. same way. you know he's like I'm a strong guy I can take care of myself I'm going to fight in this melee and then he's shocked when someone tells him he can't so I think that was just a cool little connection between the two um, did you guys have any last thoughts on this chapter before we move to the next one
1: um, I can't just by, to kind of the... pick up where you left oh go ahead no, no, I was just saying it's. We've
0: already been talking like an hour and twenty minutes. I know.
1: Yeah, actually, no. What done. I'm going to say, I can say in Arya's chapter. So let's go.
0: Okay, sounds good. So, next chapter is Tyrion four, which is chapter thirty one. Uh, the summary's pretty short, but um, so we catch up with Tyrion. With Tyrion, his horse is currently being butchered for meat, which is really depressing because yeah, Jamie gave it to him for a birthday present. So it's like, oh man.
1: He's like, that's my favorite horse. Right.
0: Once again, another horse dying. Um, he reflects on his capture at the inn at the inn at the crossroads with contempt. While Tyrion wasn't too worried as the news of his capture will spread, little did he know that Cat, uh, Catelyn spoke loudly of going to Winterfell while actually deciding to head towards the Eyrie. After discussing the travel plans, Tyrion tries to help Catelyn realize that Littlefinger isn't to be trusted and that he lied about Tyrion ever owning the dagger. They are then attacked by the mountain clans that live in the Vale and Tyrion ends up saving Catelyn. Afterwards, they leave the bodies to the Shadowcats, and Tyrion, Tyrion tells Catelyn that he would never bet against his brother in tournaments, meaning he never owned the knife to begin with. So, Brooke, why don't you hit just hit us with some first impressions?
2: Um, I had some love for Catelyn in this chapter because she outsmarted the Tyrion <laughs> Lannister, and right. I did not see it coming. I was like, "Why is she announcing where they're going? Like, she knows that somebody's going to say something." And then when it came up, I'm like. I get it. It makes so much sense. It makes sense, right? <laughs> but it no, was a pretty I good
0: am... it was a pretty good ploy by her for sure. It was.
2: It mm-hmm. was. I, I thought I liked the battle scene. It was our first battle scene. I felt like it did drag on just a little bit, but it was still it made me more bloodthirsty for the battles that are gonna come up. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Right>? Bloodthirsty. <laughs> that little,
0: that little taste. Yeah, yeah, no, I I had a great time reading this this one. Mm-hmm. Um what I thought. Just a note on Catelyn, um, you know, um, outsmarting Tyrion. I find it kind of interesting that Tyrion, it, I don't know, just reading it, I get the feeling that Tyrion isn't upset that he's captured. He's upset mm-hmm. that he got outplayed.
1: Yep, right. Mm-hmm. Like, even, not- he even yeah. says that. I mean, mm-hmm. he's just yeah. like, dang yeah. it, why didn't I see that coming?
0: Yeah, so, so why do you think he's upset about that? What? Like, I feel like if you're captured, I'd be pissed off that I got captured but he's just mad that he got out. I think he's just
1: confident that he's not going to die. So like why waste any energy overall being just so afraid and scared? Like he obviously takes it and makes the best out of it by using his, his wit and his charm and his conversation skills to kind of get promoted out of the burlap bag. Um, (laughs) But he's never worried that he's going to get murdered. I guess he wasn't really (coughs) accounting for being um, in a battle on the road, but you know, Take that out of the equation, he's not worried about being murdered because he knows that she needs him as a pawn. And that even if he makes it as far as whatever her destination is, like his father will send riders after him. And so he's not worried about dying. He's worried. He's just upset that he didn't see it coming because he truly did get played here.
2: Mm-hmm. I think, too, part of it is he, I feel like he believes that his only leg up in this world is the fact that he can outplay anybody and the fact that for the very first time Catelyn Stark just every single time he thought he had her she had him she was 10 steps ahead of him and i think that it really it just busted his chops like he could not take it.
0: Mm-hmm. No that, that that's exactly my answer. Out, out, his wits is what gives him who you know who he is is he, how smart he is. Yeah. And for him to outplayed by a Stark, just probably hit his pride pretty dang hard. Um, let me ask you, let's see, another, another question in terms of the capture. How important do you think the location of of where Tyrion, or where Catelyn captured Tyrion, how important do you think the location was? Like, imagine if if she, if they ran into each other on the King's Road farther down south, maybe they, what if they met at like Moat Caelan, like which is quite farther north. Like, how important was the crossroads, do you think?
1: Yeah, we talked about this a little bit last week, but it's absolutely crucial mm-hmm. because, first of all, the timing's perfect because everyone's headed to King's Landing. Everyone's on the King's Road because they're headed toward the tournament. But that crossroads is perfect because it's kind of where you're most likely to see a little bit of everything. And so, yeah, if it had been further south, she would not have had near as many allies there. Um, if it had been further north, you know, it may have worked out in her advantage as well. But um, even, you know, like, you know, if it had been east a little bit, but she wouldn't have been east. But yeah. anyway, um, I think it was absolutely crucial, the timing and the location. It just completely worked out in her favor. hmm uh-huh.
0: Because, yeah, the way, the way I like to think about it is, like, let's say they met farther south towards King's Landing. That's a higher chance that the rider, the riders from the Lannisters would have caught them, which yep. would have
2: mm-hmm.
0: messed up the whole thing. If she was farther north, she would have been able to get Tyrion to Winterfell, which would have prevented Tyrion from becoming Hand of the King down south. Maybe it would have led Tywin to lead his troops farther north. You know, it would have changed quite a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. And. Plus, many people label, you know, label Catelyn capturing Tyrion as, like, the big turning point. It's the crossroads of the story at the crossroads, you know? crossroads. (laughs) Right? Um, Mm -hmm. Great. No, no, I I think we nailed that right on the head there. Um, Let's see. Let's see. I don't think I had many um, discussion questions for this chapter. I just have a lot of tiny little notes about it. Let's see. Yeah, no, I think we all kind of agreed. The battle scene, I think, went pretty dang good. Um, yeah,
1: I, lo- I enjoyed it. For those of you guys who have access to Audible, um, I love listening to the battle scene, reading it. Yeah, this whole chapter, reading it, I did feel like it was a little drawn out. Um, but listening to it, it's a very enjoyable chapter to listen to.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Um, let's see.
1: I love the humor that's in this chapter, which we get a lot of that in Tyrion chapters in general. Mm-hmm. But like, I love it where he's like, you suddenly had the urge to be like, "Casterly Rock." I know, me too. <laughs> but he didn't out loud. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. Everybody else is yelling out like Winterfell and you know wherever they're from, and then yeah, he has that fear. Um, I also liked um, so when Catelyn's being attacked by three ma- three of the mountain men. Tyrion goes up, kills two of them, and the third one's like, "Oh, the, that rider ha- yeah. remembered a previous engagement here." Yeah, to and <laughs> suddenly remembered.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, that's hilarious. And yeah, do, why, do is like a bear, why does a bear shit in the woods? I like that in there too. Yeah, <laughs> like, isn't that more.
0: the most isn't that the most true statement you ever heard about Littlefinger? Mm-hmm. I I, yeah. I don't know. Like, I remember reading that, and you know, it's just
1: his nature. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, just you know, Catelyn's just like, why wouldn't I trust him? Like. Why would he lie? Why does a bear shit in the woods? Like it's just it's just the way he is. And and once again, we have another character who's sort of stuck in the past here. Catelyn is totally going back to the way Littlefinger was when he was fostered right. at the river at, at um oh my gosh, not Riverwood. No Riverwood, right? Yeah, River, river Run. River Run. That was Lord of the Rings. <laughs> 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 okay. But yeah, yeah, she's going back to that time he was fostered there, and she just can't get out of that state. My wife's poking at me. One second.
1: Yes, ma'am. Oh,
0: okay. Real close. She's giving me the death glare right now.
1: Oh boy. Well, <laughs> let's let's. Uh, my, ch- my
0: children. My children aren't sleeping, and this
1: ridiculous. Right. As a mom, I understand. If for some reason you had to hop off, we understand. I would be super no. sad, though. <laughs> I
0: know. No, it, it, we, sh- we should be fine. I, I think this chapter is going to go pretty quick. I just, I just have a few little things to talk about. Um, I'm just going to start going down this, down my list, and if you guys got stuff you want to interject, just go for sure. it.
1: Yeah, and mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. have much of this chapter either. I saved it all yeah, from the Aria chapter. You, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: so I found it interesting that in the beginning they're talking about. Um, oh yeah, yeah. bronze braun, Bron, Bron. By the way, I like. I love. I really like Bronn,
1: By the way. Yeah.
0: He's super cool
1: character.
0: I'm glad he's in the books. Um, the Dothraki like horses more than uh, beef or pork. Do you take me for take me for a Dothraki? Tyrion asked sourly. The Dothraki ate horse in truth. They also left to form children out for the feral dogs who ran behind their calisar So that's just an I don't know. I've, that's a little connection between, you know basically Tyrion's looking at the Dothraki and they're like, oh yeah, they're barbarians. They leave all these deformed kids out just to die, you know, so that the dogs can eat them. But later on he, he, I think he talks about it with Jon, how he was like, the only reason I'm alive right now is because I'm a Lannister. If I was born a peasant, Mm -hmm. I would be in some mummer show. I would have been left out into the cold to die. And I think that's just a little connection. Like, like people are just barbarians and, Sometimes people are just terrible people. doesn't matter yeah. where you're from or what you do. Sometimes mm-hmm. you people are just terrible sometimes. Um, let's see. Uh, another note, it, it kind of bums me slightly that, I don't know, when I think of Tyrion in the early chapters, you're like, oh yeah, Tyrion and Jon, they had a great relationship. Oh yeah, Tyrion and Bran. I love how Tyrion was so uh, helpful to Bran. Mm-hmm. He gave him the designs for the saddle yep. and all that. And then you're like, Man, Catelyn, you put a really sour taste
1: <laughs> on, on that
0: relationship now. It's like, because now I'm like, oh yeah, Tyrion and, the, Tyrion and the Starks, they don't get along at all. Like, it's, it's just, It just kind of bums me out a little bit that we had so many good moments and now there's so many bad moments for him. Um, oh, okay, here's, here's, a, here's another discussion question I forgot I had. So I feel like in these books, there are a lot of um, plot twists, I guess, where the audience knows it before the characters mm-hmm. know it. Yep. Two, exa- two big examples I can think of is um, Bran being pushed out the window by, the, by Cersei and Jamie. We know that, but the characters don't know that, and eventually they find out. Um, the twin twincess, that's supposed to be a pretty big reveal for Ned, but we as the audience already know that. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like even, even if, we, if we read closely enough, we would know that Tyrion wasn't the one who sent the assassin. Like it's, I don't know. I feel like, especially I'm like, even my second reread, I was like, well, duh, he didn't send the assassin. Like, why did I think he ever did that? So let me, so let me ask you, do you think that hurts the story in terms of writing or does it make it a better story? Like for, for the audience to know the answer to something before the character does, do you think that weakens the story at all?
1: I think it kind of depends a little bit, but I honestly think it's 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 more modern writing style. Um, mm-hmm. In the old days, they would just tell the story as it happened. But this is a little more, you know, we see the future, then we see the past, and then we see it from their perspective. It's just more, especially in fantasy, we've kind of gone past that era of, of just being like once upon a time, you know, this point of view stuff really helps us get it in a little bit of a mismatch order, but the flow still works. So I don't think it really hurts the storyline at all. And, but it does help with the anticipation and sometimes the frustration where we get to these moments where we're like, Oh my gosh, Callan, like you can't do this because you have bad information. So it does make it more interesting and more fun to read. I think so. Mm -hmm.
2: No, I do not think it hurts the, the, uh,
0: Perfect. Do, do you agree, Brooke?
2: Yeah, I basically said the same thing. As a reader, sometimes it frustrates me because I want the characters to know and to react to that information. <laughs> but I think that's what strings you along. You're waiting for the reveal to right. happen.
0: Well, also, also, I feel like I love the way these books are written. I love different perspectives. I love that it all still flows into into one big story. I'm very impressed with how he wrote this and I think it's pretty bold that he wrote it like this. Cause I, I don't know. I, I can't remember a, a book that I read where it jumped around from so many different perspectives, but it totally made sense. Um, I feel like one thing that does lead to actually, I, I feel like because of the way he wrote the books with different perspectives, I think it would be almost impossible to hide something like that. You know what right. I mean?
2: Mm-hmm. It's
0: like, you can't, you can't just hide this one big twist throughout the whole story you know, and, <laughs> and be able to jump from different perspective to perspective because everybody's got a different view on things. Right. And if you hit it, I feel like it would just kind of cheapen it a little bit. It's like, well, right. we and sh-
1: it's also why we can't get, we don't get POV chapters from characters like Varys, Littlefinger, Cersei, and we don't, Cersei for a long time mm-hmm. because they are the plotters. We need it from the people who are trying to figure it out. So you can't, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be as good as if you got into the brain of the people who are making the twists and turns, you have to have the perspective from the people who are kind of clueless and just picking up on the accidental clues left behind.
0: No, yeah, I agree. I feel like if we Mm -hmm. did dive into like a little figure perspective and Grimm's didn't give us all of his thoughts and information, it would feel cheap. And you know, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't go over very well. I would think. Um, Let's see. Um, Oh, um, I, uh, see so yeah, Madison I know you caught it I was wondering Brooke did you catch the um the reference to the three comedic masters in this in this chapter at all
2: I did not <laughs> oh, okay
0: that's fine that's fine there's uh, just so everybody knows um let's see if I can find it real quick. I think
1: the only reason I caught it is oh, because when I heard it on audible it sounded more obvious than when I read it so when I heard it being said out loud
0: mm. let me so, see if so- I can find it yeah, I, I found it here. It's on two seventy six. It says um, just the gist of it. It says, kit Curlkit, kit would uh, learn that learn that someday, um, as would as would his friends, uh, Laris and Moore, and the good Sir Willis, and so on and so forth." But it's just a reference to uh, Larry. Uh, no, oh my gosh, Larry, Mo, Larry and Curly, Cur- <laughs> yeah,
1: or whatever they were. Three ordered. Stooges. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: it's just a reference to the Three Stooges, and um, yeah. It's really funny. There's a couple other references in the books kind of like that. I know um, there is a Sir... Um, uh, there's like a Sir Big Bird almost. Or, oh, no, no, it's a Grover. There's like a Sir Grover <laughs> later in the books, and there's a couple other Sesame Street characters. It's it's pretty dang funny. Um, he, definitely,
1: he definitely nods to some of his like favorite things.
0: Oh, okay. So, I have another uh, scale scale of 1 to 10 question for you guys. On a scale of one one to ten, how much of a sleazeball is Littlefinger for lying that he slept with Catelyn?
2: <laughs> oh yes, oh this just made me not like him that much more. Well,
0: I, well, what's really funny to me is is that I don't know. I feel like I feel like it's mentioned a couple times in the books. Like, oh yeah, you want Littlefinger to be your friend because he has so much information, he can help you out with so many things, and it's like. I would never want to talk to this dude if he's going around saying no. like, oh yeah, I totally banged these two chicks, you know, back in the day. Ooh, you, but Brooke's got a finger.
2: Mm. Do we God. hear about this later? Is Tyrion the only person who tells us this? Because mm. does Littlefinger actually say this to everybody? Or is Cat or is Tyrion just trying to rile Catelyn up because he's mad at her?
0: Um... I'll keep an eye on that. I do not know the answer to that. The way Tyrion says it, it makes it sound like, like, oh yeah, he just yaks it off to anybody, but who knows that it could be, it could be a ploy by Tyrion.
1: Yeah. Maybe he's trying to be smart again.
0: (laughs) Trying, right. (laughs) Um, okay. Here's another cool moment I had. So, so, so the writers are coming. Tyrion is like, let us out. Like, you need us or else we're all going to die. And Catelyn's like, yes, give them a weapon. And I love that Bron gives him an ax because it's like, okay, you got this dwarf. He's got an ax. He loves gold. He's got gold. And we know Tyrion loves drinking. And it was just kind of this funny, like, wow. Like, you just like created this stereotypical dwarf. Dwarf, without, yeah. Like, yep. so yeah
1: that's, that's what I wrote down. I was like, Tyrion has never been more dwarf-y. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, Him just, you know, walking around with that axe. I, mean, I, I will say, I'm very impressed. T- what Tyrion killed like three or four people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, bro, you got some skills. Like, don't go
1: hating when, on you. I thought it was funny too that Bronn was like, um, or I think it was Bron who said it, when he was like, oh, just think about think of chopping wood. And in my mind, I thought Tyrion's next gonna be like, what? I've never chopped wood. But instead he's like, Oh, okay, wood that bleeds. Like he can relate to that at all. And I'm like, right. no. Tyrion has never chopped wood. Now come on.
0: <laughs> that is great. I can... Yeah, I can totally <laughs> see that. It would just be like Yeah,
1: I, I have... expected the next line for to be like, What? What do you mean? But instead yeah. he was like, Oh, good point. Okay, cool. Wood that <laughs> bleeds. Um I think it's funny how
2: salty he still is too. Like even when they're arming him because they have an impending battle and they're like she's like Catelyn goes give me your word that you'll lay down your sword after or your weapon after this and he's like oh I'll give you my word as on my Lannister honor and it's like you're so salty and you're gonna die
0: (laughs) yeah no that was the most like you know Catelyn was like you know what screw you here's your damn axe and get out of my way you know
1: oh my gosh
0: yeah a little lemon in the wound right there um Okay, um, let's see. I just have two more. Let's see. Yeah, so I just have two more moments here. Um, I, I okay. So I personally was kind of shocked at. So Tyrion's fighting these guys. He sees Catelyn's in danger, and his first thought is like, "Let let let the bitch die." Is basically mm-hmm. what he says. And I re- I was reading that. And I was like, "Whoa!" Like, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, he real man. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, I mean. It's just kind of interesting. I, I I know Tyrion gets a little darker in Dance with Dragons after he kills his father. But when I read that I was like, dude, like this is like who he is really. Like yeah. those thoughts don't just come to your head just for kicks. Like that's mm-hmm. deep down like he deep down his first thought was like, yeah, I wanted her to die. She did this terrible thing to me. She captured me. She outsmarted me and if she, and I want her dead. And then he probably realized like, okay. Like I shouldn't be an asshole and if she dies, we'll probably all die eventually, right. you know? Mm-hmm. So I was just kind of shocked by that. And um I did like this little line that George put in there. Um, so um uh, Bron- Bron comes up to Tyrion and is basically like, like, is this the first time you killed people? And he's like, Yeah, and Bron's like, Man, you need a woman. There's nothing better than a woman after you I first bleed someone. And then <laughs> Tyrion looks at Late <laughs> Tyrion looks at Catelyn's like, I'm willing if she is. And <laughs> Yeah, and then it says this it says the free riders broke into laughter and Tyrion grinned and thought there's a start and I, I just I kind of like how that's just a hint to like Tyrion's trying to redeem himself in terms of outsmarting it smarting Catelyn he's like I, I need to make these people my friends I need to get on their side so that and, and as we know it works like on his trip to the Vale he ends up on a horse he's not uh, tied up he's got an axe he's got a helmet And he looks like a normal person, you know, he doesn't look like a prisoner at all. So I just, I just kind of like, you know, Tyrion's always working to better himself, basically.
1: The only other thing I had was I really loved uh, like how much, like something they all have in common is that they all are like super annoyed by um, Marillion, the the bard. (laughs) Yeah. I, I like when he's like, oh, by the way, raven rhymes with raven (laughs) that was hilarious (laughs) even i'm not a coward like i'm a nobleman and a dwarf and the prisoner here and i chipped in and what did you do you just hid and did nothing like i thought that was pretty funny like you got one dig in there that everyone could agree on
0: (laughs) right yeah no no um just keep an eye on marillion he does play a bit pretty big part later on, and he actually turns into a very bad person. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Um, Okay, cool. Any last thoughts on this Tyrion chapter that we want to share?
2: Not me. The only other thing I had, I thought it was an interesting line. um, Oh, no, my thing died. When um, when they're they're fighting and Catelyn is backed in the corner by those three riders and then Tyrion comes over and kills the two and the one just has a, a prior engagement right but it says, specifically says Catelyn stark stepped up behind him and opened his throat mm. and i was like "Ooh, it's coming no <laughs> you know no I
0: mean? no that 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 is a that is a good note kind of in in two oh, ways really because we know that that's how she is killed Mm-hmm. And one of the last acts of her life is she slits someone else's throat as well. That's kind of her style, I guess you could mm-hmm. say, but no, that's a no, that was a good catch. Catch, bro. Good job.
1: Yeah. I like that. Uh, all
0: right, cool. Well, here we're going to jump into the last chapter of the discussion, which is chapter 33, Aria three. And uh, here's the summary. Um, Aria is chasing cats. She has successfully caught every cat in the King's landing, except the black Tom cat that has eluded her with great success. Today, she finally has caught him, and while reveling in her success, she is brought upon by Tommen and Marcella, their guards, their septa, things like that. Um, Arya is unrecognizable with her scraped hands and knees and her common clothing. Using the skills Cyril Pharrell has taught her, she eludes capture from them and runs as fast as she can to the point where she isn't sure where she is anymore. She ends up in a dark room in the castle where she stumbles upon the dragon skulls that were hung in the throne room during the reign of the Targaryens. While examining the skulls, two mysterious men walk across the room and Arya listens. These men talk about delaying the war, Renly and Ser Loras's plans, uh, a plot to kill the Hand of the King, and many other things. Arya eventually finds her way out and goes to tell her father what she heard. She stum- stumbles and wait, see. Oh yeah, she stumbles and mixes up kind of what the mysterious people were talking about and ned eventually just kind of brushes her off sends aria to her room and then yoren arrives to inform ned that that uh has taken the imp as they say in the show which i think is a really funny way to say it (laughs) (laughs) sounds like a disease or something she caught
1: (laughs) all
0: right cool uh madison what did you think of this chapter it's it's a it's pretty good.
1: Ugh. Hey, I actually have a lot to say about this chapter. Um, all right, I had it. a fun. I had fun with this chapter. Um, so one of the things I wanted to read through these and highlight them real quick was all of Arya's like affirmations that she says to herself, like her little one-liners to summarize what she has learned from Serio.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: like, I'm really big into saying affirmations and like, um, um like. Positive language and stuff like that. So, I love that she's doing this because it's really important to say out loud your intentions. So, her things that she says is she says, quiet as a shadow, light as a feather, quick as a snake, calm and still, uh, calm as still water, um, smooth as summer silk, swift as a deer, slippery as an eel, and um, Calm as the water again, strong as a beer, bear, fierce as a wolverine. So she has mm-hmm. all these lessons. It, it kind of gives you like a, a synopsis, kind of like a, a rocky training montage of what all she's right? been learning <laughs> with Sirio. So I love that she has these um, these things that she says out loud mm-hmm. to kind of materialize her goals, which in her future kind of becomes her her kill list that she mm-hmm. says out loud and i, I like to it. think that that's something that Sirio taught her to do mm-hmm. um the uh, other thing
0: oh, go ahead, hey, go ahead. Uh, just a quick thing like which one of those is your favorite out of aria's list is there um, one that my you're just favorite like i for love sure
1: them? is quiet as a shadow
0: yeah mine's uh probably calm as still water i don't know that reminds me of i probably heard that in a movie somewhere somewhere but every time i when i read that i'm just like that's nice. <laughs> I,
2: like
1: yeah, that. I just feel like that quiet as a shadow is, I think it's kind of, um, it's has something, this whole chapter, they talk about shadows a lot. So I like that. And also I think it's just very Aria. I think it's very faceless Manny. I think mm-hmm. it's very, yeah, I think it's very Aria. But the other thing that I really picked up on that I just thought was, I mean, maybe I'm reading way too much into it, but we mentioned in the last chapter that Grim likes to, Weave in things that he loves, and one thing that he loves in writing, but also in his personal life, is cats, and he's a he's a crazy cat man. (laughs) Um, But so I love this right here, and I feel like it is kind of, I feel like he's describing the people in Arya's life right now. So he says the Red Keep was full of cats, lazy old cats dozing in the sun cold-eyed mouser's twitching their tails, quick little kittens with claws like needles, ladies cats all combed and trusting, ragged shadows prowling in the um, the midden heaps and then it says it goes into talking about this black tomcat then it says loader on it says older than sin twice as mean is this old tomcat. And so I made some connections here. I feel like when she says that there were old cats dozing in the sun. I feel like that is like talking about Pycelle. And then it says the old, the cold-eyed mousers twitching their tails. I feel like that is um, referring to Littlefinger. Quick little kittens with claws like needles. I think that's herself or maybe even just like the other children in the castle. Ladies cats that are all combed and trusting is obviously... I think it could be both Sansa and her mother, Catelyn. Mm-hmm. Because they both have a, a maybe... Um, a flaw in being trusting, but they're also both <coughs> being ladies and then um, ragged shadows prowling in, in the maiden heaps. That would be Varys and Illyrio as we're about to find out. And then as far as this last cat, this Tomcat, I didn't really have a direct correlation for it, but this cat is cool and it does have some lore behind him. There is lore <laughs> that this tomcat is actually like hundreds of years old and is an old Targaryen cat.
0: Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I I remember reading the whole theory yeah. about him. It's I, that they're pretty much, you can take almost anything like this and make him a Zora high. I've heard I, I read a whole thing about that. So there's a yeah. There's
1: lots of fun lore with, behind behind this old tomcat. But I'm like maybe I'm like maybe this tomcat could be representing like the skulls of these dragons that she's about to be scared by that she you know didn't quite conquer or something. I mean, there's a million things. And like I said, maybe I'm reading too far into it, but it is interesting because each person that I made the connection to has all been described as that as one point or another, mm-hmm. because I know that little eyes have been, have been referenced. And also his smile was described once as twitching already. Mm-hmm. And so like just little things like that, I feel like he was just drawing some connections to like the people that are involved in her life right now are also just kind of mir- mirrored in these cats that she's chasing.
0: No, that's perfect. I I didn't I didn't catch up on any of that, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna read through that section again and take notes on that because that a great catch, Madison. And I just love
1: this too, and I think it's some foreshadowing where it says that one by one, Arya chased them down, and what has Arya mm-hmm. spend the rest of the, her storyline doing? Is yeah. chasing people down one by one.
0: Mm-hmm. Love it that's great i had fun
1: with that like i was just like look at these little kitties
0: (laughs) (laughs) right um that's great wow um let's see did you have any any more thoughts just in general about the chapter before we
1: like this is all my envelope that i wrote on with this whole chapter (laughs) so i'm sure i'll have i have lots of little tidbits but let's just go chronologically and i'll try to jump in
0: gotcha so um so, so, yeah, we kind of went through how she's chasing all these different cats throughout the castle. Madison talked about that, that those being a connection to the characters in her life. She ends up catching the cats. And then Tom and Marcella show up and they're like, what the heck is happening here? Like, there's this, <laughs> I, I, and, and I think, you know, basically Arya has become completely unrecognizable, which I, which I believe is a nice little hint towards what her future is going to hold. She's, mm-hmm. she's going to be a completely different person by the end of even if dance with dragons. She's a totally different person. And j- j- just a little note to everybody. If you haven't read the sample chapters for winds of winter, there's a sample tra- chapter called mercy, which, which, um, talks about an event in Aria's life. And it's, it's, it's creepy to be honest. <laughs> so mm-hmm. if you haven't read that, go read it and, and you'll get the chills on Arya's life, life, the way, the, where it's headed. Um, Let's see. So there's that. Um, she ends up catching the cat, as I said, then she's running away from them. Um, let's see there. I think she had a dream in here. Let me see.
1: Oh yes, yeah. I yeah. have something to say about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So here, I'm just going to read through this dream real quick. Just part of it. Um, when they had first come to King's Landing, she used to have bad dreams about getting lost in the castle. Father said the red keep was smaller than Winterfell but in her dreams it had been immense an, an, an endless stone maze with walls that seemed to shift and change behind her. She would find herself wandering down gloomy halls, past faded tapestries, descending endless, uh, descending endless uh, circular sta- stairs, darting through courtyards or over bridges, her shouts echoing unanswered. In some of the rooms, the red stone walls would, would seem to trip, uh, to trip blood and nowhere could she find a window. Sometimes she would f- uh, hear her father's voice, but always from a long way off. And no matter how hard she ran after it, um, ran after it, it would grow fainter and fainter until it faded to nothing. And Aria was alone in the dark. Uh, Brooke, did you, do you have any thoughts on the dream? Like,
2: I definitely thought that the end was, you know, foreshadowing the events of Ned's death and how she's going to be alone in the world. And she has to, go through all these struggles to try and find her way back to home. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's how I felt about the dream. I didn't really get too much more out of it, but
0: no, I agree. The the only other, I think this is just kind of, I feel like this is like, the dream is almost like a tiny history of King's landing. Maybe,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, you know, as we know, there's lots of secret passages in King's landing. We get to see Varys going through those in this chapter. I, I really, the part that really kicked, uh, hinted that to me was when it talked about the red stone walls dripping with blood. I feel like that is meant that is a um, a call back to the stonemasons who created who built King's Landing.
1: Maegor the cruel.
0: And how yeah, and how Maegor the cruel ended up killing them so that only the Targaryens would know the secrets yeah, of King's Landing. There is King's some Landing.
1: lore that so we know that you know he had all these guys that built all the secret tunnels and that he killed them all so that they. Um, so that the secrets would remain Targaryen and there is some lore that the reason that the Red Keep is red is because they actually mixed the mortar to build the walls above the secret passages with the blood of the men he killed <laughs> <sighs> Ooh. so the blood dripping from the mm. wall yeah. That's so, so like, they, so like they, <laughs> they finished the underground parts and then he killed everybody and then literally used their blood to mix the mortar to build the, <sighs> the castle the keep.
0: I really. So I don't know that.
1: if that's true. <laughs> but I've, I've I've heard that. I'm like, heroes and. That. <laughs>
0: now that man, that just makes that makes the Iron Throne, that makes King's Landing just so more terrible and frightening.
1: Brutal, right?
0: <laughs> right. So um, so we have so we have her talking about the dream. She end then ends up running through the castle to the point where she doesn't even know where she is, and she ends up in the room where the dragon skulls are. Um, I just, just two quick little lines I really, really liked from this section was, um, so she basically, she sees these skulls, she views them as monsters, she closes her eyes, and then, and then it says, um, she opened her eyes again, the monsters were still there, but the fear was gone, and I, I don't know, I just, I, I, that's probably serious teachings, you know, really having an effect on her. Mm-hmm. calm as still water she's mm-hmm. you know taking in her situation and relaxing so that she can think clearly um then she's going up she's feeling the dragon she's looking at them and then uh, I, I love the description of um she ran her fingers down a tooth black and sharp a dagger made of darkness it made her mm-hmm. shiver i don't know i just i don't know that was just a cool like ooh, edgy baby <laughs> you know <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um let's oh um let me think. Oh yeah, okay. So it keeps, so she keeps going, kind of digging deeper, and then it talks about how dark it's getting, and there's a little hint to her future here. It says, um, "She wiggled her fingers in front of her face. She uh, she felt the air move, but saw nothing. She was blind, which, as we know, she's she eventually <laughs> does become blind later on during her training with the faceless men. So that was just a little like, just a little nod to the people who who know what's going to happen." Um, okay, is there any other thoughts before we get to the whole Varys and Illyrio conversation that we want to talk about?
1: Um, like just segueing into it, I something I thought was interesting was that the two times so far that we have seen major schemers talking openly between each other, um, we see them through the lenses, through the p- point of view of small children. So mm-hmm. we had Cersei and Jamie, obviously with brands point of view. And then we have, um, Illyrio and Varys who are openly Mm. scheming, you know, not talking in code, not trying to be sneaky or anything, openly talking. And it was through the, um, the point of view of Aria. And so we only get it from their innocent point of view and we kind of get their kind of muddled mixed up view and version of it in the end. And I also thought it was interesting that, um, Aria and Bran were surrounded by monsters. So Bran is is by the gargoyles that he's so comfortable with, and that Arya is by the dragons that she's so fascinated with. So I mean, little things like that I just think are cool. Then I thought that was interesting that the two times we've really seen people like openly talking about schemes, we get them through the point of view of like an innocent child.
0: That's 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 a great catch. Good job. Yeah. I. I uh, I especially like the part of like, you know, as we know, uh, Aria s- gets this conversation, then she can't really communicate it to her father to the point where they believe it. And brand kind of the same thing. He, what's really interesting is brand sort of has this muddled version when he gets there. He doesn't really know what's going on. Like, he's like, they're wrestling and she's naked and I think she's getting hurt. And, and then you have Aria at the end. She can't like get it out of her mouth to tell them like, to tell Ned what actually happened. Um, Let's see. I thought there was
1: I well, can't also, remember. No, I, I thought you
0: said something else, but I can't remember what it is. No.
1: Oh, but anyway, you know, we can start talking about Varys. Because I feel like most of my notes are about Varus and Lario, yeah, But yeah. I thought mm-hmm. this was interesting too how they were talking about hidden dragons amongst hidden dragons.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Dun dun dun. Um, <laughs> so just a qu- so just to, to kind of just give a quick little interpretation of Cause we kind of get come back into the middle of a conversation and we don't get exact names. Um, also just a note to everybody. This is Varys and Illyrio who are talking. We don't get their names. We get a lot of hints towards it. Um, even Varys is actually in disguise. So we don't actually get a direct um, description of Varys. We know it's him. We just know through context clues and throughout the story that this is Varys who's, who's speaking. Um, so just the beginning part, uh, versus talking that says um, found one bastard one said the rest will come soon a day uh, a day two days a fortnight and when he learns the truth well what will he do a second voice asked so this is talking about ned discovering uh gendry right here he's basically saying like yeah at the hand of the king ned he found one of the bastards he's probably going to figure out you know figure out the whole twincess thing pretty soon and um i don't know i just once again i think we talked about this before how, you know, Ned coming to King's Landing really threw a wrench in everyone's plan. I th- and this is proof that that's happening They're, mm. You know, they had this whole scheme and plan. And now they got to <laughs> figure out what Ned's doing. Cause he's poking in all these, he's poking into their business basically. Um, let's see. It talks about the fools tried to kill his son. That's talking about the Lannisters trying to kill Bran. Um, let's see the the big note that i that i have in here um illyrio illyrio speaking to varus and he says if one hand can die why not a second mm. replied the man with the accent and the 4 yellow beard you have danced this dance before my friend so <laughs> let's talk
1: about that <laughs> yeah so
0: i so i think grim this is supposed to get us suspicious on varus of him having a hand in john aaron's death which I don't think he did have a hand in John Arryn's death, but this could lead. No. This could. This could lead to the thought that maybe Varys had a hand in a different hand's death. Um, so
1: I yeah. actually like kind of like broke this down.
0: Yeah, and I was thinking
1: one. about Mike. So Tywin Lannister isn't dead, and when at the time that this book was written in 1995, I believe the history and lore had not been written yet. So, mm-hmm. like, what's the Wentworth or something? The, the t- hand before or something like that? Um, I can't So, anyway, basically, I did a little bit of research, but it doesn't seem like he actually is talking about a previous hand. Um, so, what I'm thinking maybe is that he maybe alluded to Illyrio Varys maybe alluded to Illyrio that he had a part in it just so Illyrio wouldn't start to panic that things were getting out of control to be like oh no that was all part of my plan I'm totally on top of what's going on because otherwise Illyrio may start to get nervous that like there's too many players this is getting out of hand like I'm in charge of the Essos part you're in charge of the Westeros part what's going on so maybe he kind of planted that seed and Illyrio thinks that Varus had something to do with it, so that Illyrio really believes that Varus still has everything under control. Like that was just kind of like a little tangent I went on in my brain. Hmm. But I'm like, maybe he kind of did that to be like, oh, you know what's up? You know, you already helped with that other guy, and he's like, oh yeah, that's totally what happened. <laughs> I mean that 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 is that is a possibility. I I don't know. The the thing
0: is, I always view. I don't know. I've always put Varys and, La- and Littlefinger kind of on the same level in terms of scheming and things like that. But there's a few times that Varys admit, like even in this chapter, he admits he's like, I have no idea what Littlefinger's up to.
1: Mm-hmm. You know what? I always put them on the same level until this chapter. And now mm-hmm. I have them on completely different planets. <laughs> yeah, well, and I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. Um, Littlefinger serves whatever benefits him in the moment. Like his goal is to elevate himself and to have power and money, okay? But Varys is a true believer. He truly has the good of the realm, and he thinks that a Targaryen restoration is the answer to like. He is a true believer, and I believe that someone who has is has a, a what he even says it later about um, Stannis. He says that there's no one on Earth more dangerous or more terrifying than a truly just man. Mm-hmm. He says that about Stannis, that there, there's nothing more dangerous on this planet than a truly just man. And I think that Varus is a truly just man in the fact that his, his goal and his motivations are pure. And whether they're right or wrong is neither here nor there. But the fact is, Littlefinger, his only goal is for his personal power, personal wealth, personal gain, personal elevation. Whereas Varys knows that he'll probably die at the end of this. He knows that he's just, you know, his, his job is just to make sure that the right thing happens. And so that, to me, is more powerful, more dangerous, and needs to be um, probably respected way more. I feel like, like Littlefinger is... You know, like this, and Varys is like <laughs> thinking big picture. Mm-hmm. So I get—I I always thought of them as like you know two sides of the same coin. Whereas after this chapter, I really feel like um, he was referencing his self too when he said that about Stannis—that um, like no no creature on earth is more terrifying than a truly just man. I think he had that little little catchphrase because he knew it true about himself as well. I think he was telling. Look out for me too, because mm-hmm. like he may have the Lord on his, the Lord of Light, which you know Verus hates on his side, right. but you know mm-hmm. I have the good of the, I have the good of the realm as my motivator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Love it. Let's see. So uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try and speed up just a little bit here. Yeah. Um. So just a couple other things we learned we learn from this conversation. We know that. Lord Renly and Sir Loras, um, they intend they intend Robert should bed uh, Marjorie, wed her, mm-hmm. and make her a new queen. So that's confirmed that there is a scheme to get Cersei out, while Cersei is trying to get Robert out. So it's just whoever gets to it first, basically. <laughs> um, so we learn of that. We and this is where we learn the big plot, at least the way the plot is now, in terms of Varys's plan. His plan is he needs the war to be delayed. So that <coughs> Danny, so that Danny and Cal Drogo can go to, um, oh, what's that place called, base Dothrak, and be able to get back, so that the Dothraki can invade Westeros. So that's that's basically confirmed in this chapter. Um, he needs
1: that he needs Westeros to be either mid war or just freshly post war, so that they're very weakened mm-hmm. when, so they're not ready for a massive war against the Dothraki and the Targaryen restoration efforts
0: exactly and
1: it's happening way too fast for their plan
0: (laughs) (laughs) right um so those that's the big information we get out of out of this conversation um one one part i one part i liked is how it's hinted how varus is getting his information you know who are his spies and it says um Mm. let's see so it's talking about how um uh let's see oh yeah Delay, you say. Make haste, I reply. E- e- even the finest jugglers cannot keep a hundred balls in the air forever. You are more than a juggler, old friend. You are a true sorcerer. All I ask is that you work your magic a while longer. Uh, they started down the hall in the direction Aria had come past the rooms of the monsters. What I can wh- uh, what I can do, I will, uh, said Varys, basically said. Um, I must have gold and another 50 birds. Uh, so many? The, vo- the voices were fainter. Uh, the ones you, you the ones you need are hard to find. So young uh, t- to know their letters, perhaps older, not die so easy. No, the younger the safer. Treat them gently. If they kept their tongues, the risk. And you know they kind of wander off, and they can't. She can't hear exactly what it is, but basically, yeah. So basically, the way it works is that Illyrio gets the kids, sends them to Westeros. They know how to write their tongues are cut out and though that's Varus's little birds, which is really effing creepy. Creepy, <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. It
1: really, it really reminds you that this is a dark story and um, right. you know, it, it really showed, I think it says a lot about Varys because it shows that he is a, a means justify the ends kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And it, it's really especially impactful because he was mutilated as a child. So Mm-hmm. Like he has personal experience with mutilation, yet he's willing to continue to, um, you know, perpetuate the cycle because he truly believes in his cause. Yeah. It, it's
0: a huge black mark on, on him for me personally. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. like, that's just absolutely incredible.
1: Because you're like, where are they getting the kids? You know, are they taking them off the street? Are they killing their parents? Mm-hmm. Are they, you know, like, where are mm-hmm. they getting these kids?
0: Also what I, um what I find kind of interesting is um, let's see. Okay. It says um, they're talking about delay in the war. Too soon, too soon. The voice with the accent complained. What what good is war now? We are not ready. Delay, as well, bid me to st- stop time. Do you take me for a wizard? And that's Varys speaking. So it's like, what do you think? I'm a wizard or something? Which is funny, based on Varys' past. He doesn't like magic because of what happened to him. Right. And then even <laughs> and then later on, Illyrio calls him a sorcerer. Um, I, said,
1: I was like, "You son of a bitch! Yeah. <laughs> how dare you!" Pretty, pretty <laughs> how much. Dare well,
0: you? well, well, it's also kind of funny is when Catelyn first meets Varys in the book. She even mentions like, "How does he know all this stuff?" He must have some magic in him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, it's just kind of funny to me how like, you know, we think Varys has this magic in him, but he doesn't have it at all. And there's some there's some connection there between Melisandra, how she is showing all this magic. But then when we get to her POV, we kind of learn that she's kind of a false priestess, like she's faking a lot of it. So that's just an interesting point they made here. Um, Let's see. I think that's about most of my notes. Uh, Basically, Arya then escapes. She eventually finds her way out. She gets to her father. And um, kind of my last discussion question, why do you think Ned just kind of brushes it off? That's the
1: last thing I really had, too, because it's it's actually not consistent with his character, because Mm -hmm. in the past, like he really takes his kids um, opinions and what they have to say really seriously. Um, In fact, coming up here pretty soon, when when Sansa says something, it's like all he needs to be like, aha. Um, Yeah, I got it. So. It's interesting to me because it typically, as we've seen so far, Ned will take what his kids say and really, like, ask them prompting questions and like, well, I'm gonna take this and run with it because I trust my kids. And I feel like it's not really consistent with his character because he's just like kind of almost like making fun of her, and then he's like, yeah, out of here. Right. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah, he's like, oh yeah, he probably. And especially considering the next chapter,
1: you, huh? when the next chapter kind of confirms her story. You think he would be like, Wait a second, but you know, Ned is not a detective. Like <laughs> sadly.
2: <laughs> well, I wonder uh, if it's because of the situation. Like she had been missing all day long. He had he's sent already frustrated. People out for her. Yeah, he's frustrated with her. And now he's like, Well, she's just trying to make up some story about this crazy conversation she heard to get herself out of trouble. So I almost just wonder situation wise, he was just like, Arya. I'm tired of this game. Like I had to go yeah. looking for you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
1: But well, it's kind it- of alarming. Like she's like, Oh, I was down in the depths of the castle and there were people down there. Like that enough should be like, even if they were performers be like, wait a second, why were they down there? True. They're not right. supposed to be down there. Mm-hmm. Like it should have been enough to cause for some like investigation, but. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I-, I think part of the reason is just, she wasn't, Expressing it very clearly, like when you're reading right. it, she's like, "Oh yeah, there was these people, and they were talking about the bastard, and I, I bet the b- bastard is Jon Snow, and oh, oh, they're thinking about killing you, and you know, like she, you yeah. know, you know, I think it just hits a point where it's like, okay, you're not making sense. You're probably, I don't know, maybe he was like, look, just go to your room, and maybe you'll you can think of, <laughs> think a little better, and then you can tell me later." Yeah. <laughs> right um let's see so that's all my notes that i have um brooke did you have anything you want to say And are you getting a little tired probably over there
2: <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit but no a um, bit. no i don't i didn't think i had anything else let me just look up here yeah, let me grab that. <clears throat> the only thing i had the only other thing i had down was just that last line um from I, know, I can't look up his name because my ipad's dead from the guy who took mm. took Arya from ned's room and took her to her bedroom oh and... i think it's
0: i think it's desmond, yeah. it's desmond.
2: he's like you know wizards die the same as other men once you cut off their heads and i'm mm. like oh no it's coming yeah. <laughs> <Cut off> <laughs> it. <laughs>
0: right <laughs> well well and also, also that that lot that that scene where um She's asking, like, how many men does my father have? And he, he's like, oh, it's about 50 people. And she's like, oh, the Lannisters have way more than that. And I think he, I, I think it's this scene where – I think it's in this chapter where then he says, like, oh, you know, one, one Stark man's worth every 10 yeah. Lannisters or something mm-hmm. like that. And that has a really big effect on her when the Stark house guard guards end up killing. And she she – once again, she looks at the men of Winterfell and she's like, they lied to me again. Yeah. Like – that they, they boast of all these great stories and they're not living up to it when lady mm-hmm. was killed. And once again, they said that we're better than the Lannisters and obviously you're not. And I, it's, it's just kind of soul crushing for her.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. I kind of am disappointed that they skipped the actual conversation between your and Ned and just, you know, I mean, it's one of those things that they didn't need to tell us. Like we already know. So that would have been repetitive, but I would have liked to hear Ned's reaction. Um, yeah, be like, me too. From from Jorn being like, by the way, your wife just uh, abducted Tyrion Lannister. Right. <laughs> I wish we would have been able to see Ned's real reaction in the books, but you know, it was unnecessary to necessary. You know, it we didn't have it. <laughs> right.
0: Right. Well, cool guys. Um, I think we're I think we're pretty much wrapped up. It's getting a little yep. late, so I think we're gonna close up. Um, just last couple little notes. Um we're next week we're going to be reading chapter 33 34 and 35 it's going to be two it's going to be a ned chapter a Catalan chapter and a ned chapter again um this is where um let's see the ned chapter is where he he um steps down from hand of the king the catlin chapter is when she gets to um we get to see the eerie which i'm really excited mm-hmm. about it's probably the most beautiful place ever described and then the, the the second Ned chapter is going to be um, when he goes to the brothel and Jamie attacks him. So I'm I'm excited for these these chapters. Action packed,
1: going to be yeah. Good. We got some good
0: action packed, plot moving chapters coming up. Uh, thank you everyone for joining us. Um, check out the links that Madison posted in our in our live video post. There's a link to our SoundCloud where you can download the the podcast the 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 audio version of the of the episode. I only have one episode up right now. I'm working on the other ones. I, I kind of have to do them in my spare time, but I'll get to them soon. Um, link to our YouTube channel, our email, Facebook page. Everything you need is there. Uh, thanks for joining us, guys. Thank have a great you. time talking to you, too. Bye, guys. See, see you next buddy.
1: week. Bye. All right, we'll see you
0: then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.